Hi, welcome back to Casters of Valhalla. I'm OEAO, Mike, and I'm joined tonight uh, by Matthias. Ken? Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Yourself? Doing great. Excited to talk about some great games. Um, so, yeah, not, nothing really uh, important to talk about the start, so we're just going to jump into it, and Ken's going to lead us off with his 75, and I guess the only other thing is... Um, We've decided to switch it up just a little bit, so we're going to do another 25 games tonight, and then we'll do a like a 50 to 31, a 30 to 11, and then finally a top 10. So just a little bit of a format switch at the end there, but overall going to be pretty much the same. So Ken, why don't you start us off with your number 75? Sounds good. Uh, and Mike, I think this may be a crossover with you. Uh, my 75 is War of the Rings. Um, I'm a big no Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, as mentioned before, with Journeys in Middle Earth, there may or may not be more Lord of the Rings games on my list. Um, I have. Uh, I actually don't own the board game. I played the board game several times. Uh, I think it's a way cooler version of. I don't want to say Risk, but I, it's a dudes on the map game, and Risk is kind of like the original dudes on the map game, but. Um, and then I also have the card game, and the card game is actually pretty fascinating. The way they try to emulate um, the shadow player versus the, the, the free peoples, and um, I'm not I'm not sure exactly. I, I'm pretty sure I like the board game better, but I've only played the card game um, maybe six to eight times, so I'm still feeling that one out a little bit. Um, it's faster, which is the one benefit I like. Because uh, War of the Ring can take all day, and and I think I was talking to Mike earlier before we started this cast, and it's one of the things that I don't get drawn to the dudes on the map game as much, just because of uh, the amount of time they take. But I do I do like them. But so th that's kind of why I, I I grouped War of the Ring, the card game, and the board game together, even though they're actually very different games. Um, and I'm sure that Mike will talk about this more. But War of the Ring, basically, you're the free peoples. You're trying to destroy the ring. Uh, the shadow player is trying to stop that from happening. And um, in War of the Ring, the, the card game, it's about locations. And the shadow player and the free people are fighting over locations. Um, and you play cards to, uh, to, 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 to do that, essentially. There's, there's path locations and there's combat locations. And what's cool about the card game is you can only play like... Um, like Bilbo can only go to like certain locations. You can't play Bilbo like uh, you can't play Bilbo like at Minas Tirith. So so that's kind of, so so that's kind of cool. But my number seventy five, War of the Ring. Yeah, and just to um, go off that, I think you mentioned as well um, to me that one of the other main differences is that the card game is designed for really for four people. Whereas the board game is a two player game where like, it's like rebellion where you can technically play with four, but really it's a two player game, right? Yeah. Very good points. You can play two players in war of the ring. You can even play three. You can play four. Three's weird. Four's great. Two's less weird than three, but still you're right. Four is kind of what you're looking for. Cause you have a, you basically have an, you basically have a Mordor player you have an Isengard player um, with monsters, and then you've got like uh, you got like Rohan, and then you've got uh, Gondor, and then like the elves are thrown in there somewhere, and like Gandalf's thrown in there somewhere, Bilbo's thrown in there, and then obviously Gimli's the only dwarf in the game, which is kind of weird. Um, but like 
yeah, anyway, I don't want to keep going, but uh, 75, War of the Ring. Yeah, and that, that was all for the card game right there. So it's kind of like the card game, four players, the board game, Correct. too. Yep. Um, okay, so my number 75 is a party game. It's probably the exact opposite of a War of the Ring, and this is Codames. Um, Codames is a team versus team game. plays great with, like, six, eight, ten, et cetera. Um, and you can have odd number of players, too, and it works fine. So basically, you've got a grid of five by five and each on each card is a word and the clue giver, like one person on the team is a clue giver and they see this, uh, this little, uh, card that basically shows colors and they're trying to get the, their teammates to guess what word, um, and all the, the clue giver can say is, is a word and a number. So for example, I might say, um, I don't even have a good example off, off the top of my head right here, but maybe I say card three, right? And maybe one of the words out there is magic. One of the other words out there is gift. And another word out there is, um, I don't know, sleeve, right? I mean, really stupid examples, but but like those might be the words. And I'm trying to get it so my team guesses. So you're what you're trying to do is the clue giver is kind of link up these words into a single clue because that's all you can give. And basically it's a race to get done first. There's also one word where if you, if, if your team ends up guessing that, then your team just automatically loses. And if you guess the opponent's uh, team's word, then they get to cover up that word with their card. Right. So like you're, you're trying to make sure that like what word, what clue you give is something that they can link up and ideally links up multiple words, but also won't bring in anything that you didn't think of, you know? So it's, it's one of those games, like kind of like deception murder in Hong Kong, where just the trains of thoughts that people like the, the, those paths that people go down is very funny to watch. Um, I think it's a really good party game. Uh, it's very cheap and it's definitely worth picking up, you know, for, for, and, and anybody can play it. It's fast. Uh, so definitely worth it. So my number 75 is Codenames. Yeah, we have the Marvel edition, and we play with that from time to time. Um, my number 74 is Blitzkrieg. Uh, it's World War II in 20 minutes. Uh, I mentioned before I like World War II games. This is an abstract World War II game. Um, you have uh, one, play one player plays as the Germans, one player plays as the Allies. And on your turn, you're going to draw chits from your bag, and there's different theaters of war. Uh, like the Pacific, you know, uh, Africa, North Africa, whatever. There's different theaters of war. And on your turn, you can play one of the chits from your bag into one of the theaters. And depending, like, um, there's air, there's uh, aerial units, there's naval units, and there's ground units. And depending what the tile shows, you have to, you know, obviously you can't play a, a tank in the middle of the ocean. Um, but when you play it, you're going to, usually there's like a, you'll trigger like a, an ability. So you'll get the ability and then, once that, once that row is full, you're going to calculate points to see who gets a, gets points for that theater. And it's like the first one to 25 points wins. It's very quick. Uh, it's a little bit abstract, but um, it, 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 there's a... Uh, I, I mean, I, th I still think there's pretty good strategy in it. There's also a solo version that I'm not super keen on. I've only played it twice, though. I, I just didn't like the way... It just didn't seem super intuitive. And I kind of, I'm not a big fan of like games that are like made for like, hey, we made this game like this. We also made this version that you and like everybody gets all excited, but then you're like, this is so tacked on. This just doesn't quite feel right. 
and um, I feel like that on a lot of games, but I also feel like that on this one. So one v one, World War Two abstract in twenty minutes, Blitzkrieg, and that is my number seventy four. Yeah, it's on my short list to try. Um, my number seventy four is, I guess, another party game. This one is Dragon's Gold by Bruno Fiduti. Um, this is a very, very fun uh, party game where basically, or I guess, it's not really a party game because it, it is like it's a game for sure, but it's like it's on the lighter end of the spectrum, and it's actually it's it's a little longer too. It's more like thirty to forty five minutes ish. Um, so, um, but what you're doing is just kind of like a little silly, where basically. The whole the whole like premise of the game is that you are uh, sending out adventurers to try to slay dragons. And so what happens is basically you have four adventurers, a one, two, a three and a four. Right. That's their strength. And then you you deal out some dragons to the center. Um, they start with a number of treasures on them and they each have hidden treasures. And the, the amount of treasure per dragon is dependent on that dragon's strength. And so on your turn, you send out one adventurer to one dragon. And then if you slay the dragon because there's a number, there's a strength number um, of adventurers equal to the strength of the dragon, you slay it. And if not, it goes to the next person. They send out one adventurer somewhere, et cetera. It just passes around the table like this. What's really interesting, though, is it's just a pure negotiation game, both on how you're trying to get people like to, to send out to help you. And then also what happens is when the dragon's slain, um, you flip a sand timer that's 60 seconds and you have 60 seconds to negotiate how exactly you're going to split up the loot that the dragon has. And it's all these little gems. And some of the gems are just like gold and silver. They're just worth straight up victory points. There are these colored ones where you want to have the most at the end of the game. Otherwise they're not worth anything. You've got um, just some different things. And uh, so you've got to all negotiate and decide who's getting what and somebody could just stonewall it somebody can just say you know what nope i'm not agreeing to anything unless i get specifically this and if so you're all screwed because if you at the end of that 60 seconds if you can't come to a firm agreement on exactly what everybody gets then nobody who's part of that gets anything right so like you, you want to send your adventurers out and you want to make sure you're part of these deals and then you also need to negotiate with everybody that's part of that deal um you know so um if you're the only one that slays the dragon because it goes all the you know all the way around the table again and then you're able to send a, another adventure out and slay it then like that's great you keep all the treasure for yourself but you know if, as soon as there's a second person involved and especially if there's like four people involved trying to negotiate over how to split this loot i mean good luck right and then there's a couple that have special abilities. So the three and the four don't have any special abilities. The one, though, is a wizard. And if if you are the only wizard that's part of that negotiation, you get to automatically grab the magic items at the start, which are just like one point gems. But um, you just get you just automatically get them and then negotiations begin. And then there's the two, which is the thief. And the thief gets to just reach behind one of the other players shields where they keep all their gems hidden and secret and just grab one. Right. So like you're also trying to negotiate like, no, don't you send your thief here, like send your thief over there and send one of your other guys over here. You know, so it's just it's just a lot of negotiation. It's kind of silly fun, um, but I, I really enjoy it. I've, I've had a great you know, I've, I've had really good success bringing this out with like my cousins who aren't gamers um, and they've enjoyed it as well. So that's my number 74 Dragon's Gold. That's a pretty old game, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, I remember playing that long, like, I want to say 20 years ago. Um, interesting. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, actually. I'd have to look oh. it up. Oh, 
Interesting. All right. Uh, my number 73 is another World War II game. It is in um, this. There's been two editions. I have the first edition. This is D-Day Dice. Um, D-Day Dice is a dice chucker where you're, there's a battle mat in front of you and you can play like Omaha Beach, Gold Beach, all these different variations. But basically, you're rolling dice to try and get soldiers and resources and veterans, army specialists and courage on your team to push forward. And as you move forward, there, you have different options and where to go. Like one, one side might be a minefield, another, another side might be a machine gun nest. So, you, so you're kind of like, okay, and you have like, you can stay like in each location around, between three to four turns. And some locations you have to move immediately from, but you're usually taking casualties every time you stay there. But the further you advance, the more casualties you're taking. So it's about, it's about management, about like, okay, how many troops do I need? If I have like if I get a minesweeper, I probably want to go towards the special or the the mine zone, or if there's a machine gun nest up here, maybe I want to try and get a, a specialist as a sniper as I push forward. But this is a, this is fun. Um, it's got the Yahtzee style mechanic where you roll three times. Uh, I think you have to lock one dice on the very first roll, but then I think you can, then I think you can unlock it on the last roll depending on what you roll. But anyway. Um, you're trying to, you're trying to get matches too. Cause a lot, there's a, they call it a red, white, and blue bonus. Cause you have two red dice, two white dice and two blue dice. And if you roll like all soldiers and all three of those colors, you'll get like a bonus or all metals or all, um, all, uh, items. Cause you can find items while you're on the beach too. So, and, and the object is to push forward, take out the, you know, take out the, the German, the German, whatever it is, nest sometimes, or maybe it's a bunker. But that is my number 73 D-Day dice. Yeah, so real quick, you were right. Uh, Dragon's Gold is from originally 2001. I have the 2015 uh, printing of it. So, yeah, very, very old game, apparently. I thought I had played that a long time ago. But I was like, well, maybe that was a different game. Because sometimes games change names, too. So Right. Um, but, yeah. All right, my number 73 is a family game. This one is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. So uh, this one is a, like you're, you're building your own little castle. Um, the way it works is one person each round is kind of the auctioneer. They, they set the prices on these rooms and then people basically buy rooms, right? And then and they pay the auctioneer. So the auctioneer wants to make sure that they're not putting stuff too high or too low. So that way, you know, if it's too high, people won't buy it. If it's too low, people will just automatically buy it. Um, and then they also will get to buy one room as well that they priced uh, to the bank, right? So like they don't want to price something too low that they might want because then somebody else might buy it. Um, what's interesting about this one is that you have like six or seven different colors of rooms and each color is like has a different special ability that triggers if you are able to completely enclose it. So some rooms might only have one uh, hallway and so if you can, or one doorway. And so if you can connect one other room to that, then that will automatically score you the bonus that's in that room, right? And so like one type of room might just get you extra points. Another lets you draw an extra bonus card, which, which like there are also these bonus cards, which, change how you score you know you, you, you there's like a base level of scoring but then there's also these bonus cards which say like oh for like the large circle rooms you'll also score an additional couple points right for each one or if you have the most of this or whatever um so it's just really interesting it, it's fun like some of the rooms you know like it lets you take another turn right so you can kind of combo off a little bit and there's just a lot of interesting things with this game i think it's a very good um 
family game, especially if you like building like a little castle, you know, you, everybody builds their own little thing. So if you enjoy that type of thing, you enjoy the, the interaction that comes with an auction, um, this is a good one. So that's my number 73, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. All right. My number 70, what about 72, right? My number 72 is a game by Adam and Bradley, Brady Sadler. Um, I have, I actually have quite a few games on this by, by those two guys. I really, I really like those guys, the designers. Um, but this game is Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. Now they re-implemented this with Heroes of Terranoth and they're actually doing another re-implementation. I think it's called like Dragon Bond Quest. Uh, but one of the things I'm excited about for the newer version is Lo- Logan Giannini is also a designer on that game, and he's the guy that does uh, Hoplomachus with Chip Theory games. So I'm pretty excited about that game, and that may or may not be on my list later. But anyway, back to Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. This older game, probably about mid 2000s, 2010s, like 2015-ish. Um, but this is a, you know, it's it's one to four players, and you get to pick a, a class, and on your class, you know, you have four different cards. Uh, like you can do attack, you can you can rest, you can aid somebody, and you can search. And this is about like moving through a dungeon, killing some monsters, advancing to the next location until you get through the quest, uh, killing things. It's a it's 100% a card game, uh, and does have a, there is a campaign system where you can get like better weapons and better items as you move up, and you can also upgrade your your uh, like your attack or your quest. Um, well, I guess I don't know if they call it quest in the game. Rest, attack aid and maybe it is quest it's either quest or search is the last one um the i guess the negative about this was um they never like they never really it never really went anywhere because i think adam and brady seidler left ffg when this this was released and, and went to blacklist games um and that's a whole nother story i'll talk about later uh on a different game but um so the, the, there was two expansions where you could be like a witch hunter and I can't remember what the other expansion was, and they're actually really hard to find because this game is not printed anymore. But um, this is this is a very fun game. It's my style. It's a dungeon. It's kind of a dungeon, uh, a, a dungeon delving, but with cards. There's, it's not a deck builder though. It's not a deck builder. Like you only have the four actions you can do, and the way you level up is by getting different gear and like upgrading your actions. So anyway. This is my number 72 Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. Yeah, I own this one, but I haven't gotten it to the table yet. Um, what I imagine happened, so this came out in 2015, and I believe that's right around the same time that FFG and uh, Games Workshop completely parted ways, which that's, is why. That's that's what it was, 100%. You're right. That's what it yeah, was. Because a bunch of their games died at that point. Uh you know, games that should have had expansions slash more expansions, one of which I will definitely be talking about later. So, well, well, they uh, well, they re- re-implemented with Heroes of Terranoth. And I thought that was FFG, too. But then, like, I think that's when the Sadler Brothers left for Blacklist Games. Yeah. Um, Heroes of Terranoth definitely was uh, was FFG. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And, so, and then they're doing Dragon Bond Quest. And I don't even know who that's going to be through. So I think it's going to be on Kickstarter. It's I want to say in the near future, but I don't know for sure. So. Or I guess I shouldn't say definitely about Terranoth because I don't know that one, but like the Terranoth setting is FFG's property, right? Like that's the set yeah, and Runebound. Yeah, that's the set, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Okay, so my number 72 is, um, well, it's a party game, I guess, uh, but it's not like a, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a party game. So this is Sheriff of Nottingham. This is a very good one where basically uh, you are trying to get like goods, uh 
passed a uh, somewhat corrupt sheriff. So each round, one person is the sheriff and everybody else, you know, does, does a little bit of trading with the central discard pile. And then they take a number of cards from the hand. They have a hand of about six cards, I want to say. And they declare, uh, they, they put those cards into a little bag and they snap the bag closed. And when they do this, they hand it off to the sheriff and they say, in this bag is, let's say, four apples. And they can't lie about the quantity of cards in there, but they can absolutely lie about what's inside. And um, if the sheriff, you know, let's let's say the sheriff just gives them back their bag. They take those cards and they put them onto their player board. Um, you get points for all your cards. And then also, like, at the end of the game, if you have the most apples, you score bonus points. If you have the most chickens or the second most chickens, you get bonus points, et cetera, for the four different main types of goods. But some cards are contraband and they're worth a lot of points. Um, some contraband, like they're golden apples, which might be worth two apples per card, Um as well as being worth more points than a normal Apple card. But the, the, the risk is that if the sheriff opens your bag and you tell him, hey, I got four apples in here and you got three apples and one crossbow, let's say, then he gives you back your three apples, but then you lose that, go- that crossbow and you have to pay him the penalty that's printed on that card. So it's all bluffing on how, when do you try to smuggle stuff through? When do you just tell the truth? Because, and if you tell the truth, right, let's say I say there are four apples and then the sheriff opens it. I, not only do I get my apples, he has to pay me the penalty that's printed on all of those apple cards, right? Um, same happens if you say I've got four apples and, you know, I got three apples in there and one rooster, uh, one chicken, right? He's like, I lose that chicken and I have to pay the penalty for that. So you can try smuggling like anything you want, you can just completely lie. You can make deals. You can say, hey, I'll pay you to open his back or I'll pay you not to open my back. Or look, I have uh, a crossbow in there and I'm willing to tell you that. But if you don't open my bag, I will give you this crossbow. And then maybe there's a crossbow inside. Maybe there's not a crossbow. Maybe there's some other contraband. I flat out lied. And now I get to keep my contraband because you gave me back my bag. So it is a degenerate game for sure. It is hilarious. It is a ton of fun. Everybody, um, the game basically, it, it plays five and it's best with five. I believe the expansion plays up to six, but I, I don't have the expansion. So, you know, it plays five. Basically, you, you go two two rounds around the table where everyone is the sheriff twice, you know. So everybody has to be the sheriff twice and then they're going to be handing off their bag to the, sh- the sheriff uh, eight times over the course of the game. So it's just a lot of fun. Um, especially with the mechanic where you discard cards and then you pick up cards from one of the two central discard piles, or you can draw off the top, but you can take from the discard piles. You have to always take from the top down though. So now, you know, you pick up four cards, two of which are not apples. And then you're staring the sheriff in the face saying four out of the six cards in my hand were apples. Do they believe you? Who knows? And that's the fun of Sheriff of Nottingham. So it's a great, great party game. Uh, That's my number 72. Yeah, we play this one a lot. Um, what's funny about it is some of my buddies don't like playing it because they don't like they say that they don't want to teach their kids to lie because um, they want to be able to tell when their kids are lying. So they don't want to play against the better liars. Um, That's pretty funny. Well, so and you don't have to lie, right? Like correct. you could just play a very truthful game where you yes, always you tell the truth. Yeah. And I, w- one of the things I like the most is as somebody that's not a good liar, 
I love that there are the contraband versions and the normal things. So I can right. say with a very straight face, there are four apples in this bag. Right. Now, one or two of those might be golden apples, but there right. are four apples in this bag. I can right. say that right. very convincingly. So I love that right. aspect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that, 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 that's one that hits our table at least a couple times a year. Um, all right, my number 71. Uh, my guess is this is a crossover with Mike at some point. Um, this is um, this I mentioned back in the back about Magic the Gathering. There's better versions of it. And I think this is one of them. This is 71. My number 71 Epic the card game. Um, what I like about this game is you uh you have one basically one they call it gold or uh, in this game you have one gold per turn and so you can play one card worth one gold and as many cards as you want worth zero gold and that's it and the like and the all the creatures in this game are like 14 14 attack 14 defense haste for one gold uh but then you know but then if i'm playing against mike mike probably has like destroy all creatures in his hand for one gold um so so there's a lot of uh like this game is like like think about like all the most powerful cards in Magic the Gathering. This game has all of those, and they all only cost one or zero. So you're playing a very like uh, intense game back and forth. Like I remember the first time I played this, I think I played a one like for the first time I was like in my hand there's like a four like you have 30 hit points in this game, and I like attacked I attacked with a 14 14 on turn one with haste, and I'm like this. Of course they don't call it haste in this game. They call it I don't remember what they call it in this game because they can't use the word right. haste. Blitz, right, right, right. So, um, so yeah, this is this is very fun. This is very fast. There's a there's a couple different ways to do it with draft. There's a shadow draft. Is it called shadow draft, Mike? Is that what's called? Dark draft. Dark draft. Sorry, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, or you can just play. You know, just decide like I'm going to play all of this faction. I'm going to play. There's a blue faction. Uh, there's a red. There's a red faction. There's a green faction. And what's the other one? White. Um, I. I I can't remember if it's white or yellow. I think it's white yellow. Or yellow. Okay, yellow. So it's, it's functionally white. For yeah, it's magic. functionally white. So anyway, very fast uh, card game. I think that it takes Magic the Gathering and just does it better. Does it cooler because like everything you have in your hand is just overpowered, which is just very cool because you're, you're like, oh, everything's overpowered. But you're like, oh, well, everything my opponent has is overpowered too. So like it's not really overpowered at all. So it'd be interesting too because I came into this game playing Magic. So it'd be interesting to go from this game to Magic. You're like, oh, that none these guys are all stink compared to like Epic the card game. I don't know. But anyway, that's my number seventy one, Epic the card game. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be talking about that one later. But I like, yeah, it, it's it's a very good one. Um, it's also a lot like the skill gap in Epic is so much higher than the skill gap in a Magic. Like, there's just so much more variance in Magic and Epic is. A very even though the creatures are ridiculous because all the cards are ridiculous the, the skill gap is incredibly high in this one so yeah it's a, it's a good choice um my number 71 is a game that i don't believe will be a crossover on ken's list but i know he's played it i know he at least enjoys it but i, I know he enjoys the other two in this line better so um this is arkham horror the the card game or the, the living card game from fantasy flight game so i'm gonna be talking about a fair number of these living card games. I actually cut out a couple, but um, basically they've got their competitive line and then their cooperative line. Now all their competitive ones are dead. Um, you know, when I say dead, like they, they just, they don't print them anymore and, and the support has ended for them, which is why I'm only going to talk about two, even though another three would have made my top 50 easily. Um, and, and I'll get there much, much later. Um, 
But for the cooperative ones, there are three. There was Lord of the Rings in, I believe, 2010. There was Arkham Horror, which came out in like 2018-ish. And then Marvel Champions, which came out more like 2020, probably 2019, something like that. Um, and my favorite is definitely Arkham Horror. I What I like about it uh, is the gameplay, right? You just get you get a number of action points per turn and you spend those action points to do whatever you want. Um the the it's an interesting system where basically you draw success chips out of a bag instead of like rolling dice so like for for scaling difficulties it's really easy to like the game is really smart and easy to scale because you just change the number of chips you put in the bag and my favorite part about the game though is just the story what you know the mechanics are rock solid right but then the story is really good it's a campaign game where you play through these campaigns usually they're eight scenarios long um and what's really interesting is how much this game can do with just cards, right? Like in one, it, what you have are these location cards and you're moving around them with a little a little uh, card for your investigator, right? And so it feels very thematic that like you're an investigator, the investigators are very different, uh, different classes, different investigators within the classes, et cetera. It's like all the, all the makings of a good cooperative game. Um, you get to, you know, you move around the locations and one, it's like a house, right? So like you got the basement and then like the, the hallway and then some rooms off the hallway and then the attic. So you can move vertically and horizontally on this grid, which, you know, doesn't seem like super mind blowing. But again, in the realm of card games, this was very different and unique. You know, I know in one scenario, it's like a train, like it, you're literally moving around a train. Another, um, it's like a, a forest and it's, you see all of just trees everywhere right and you just got to go to different places here and see what's behind those trees um it's it's really well done my biggest gripe with it and the reason i don't play it is just anymore really is just because it's a little more complex um not rules wise but just if if it's really a two-player game right and i know it can play up to four as well and i know it can technically play solo and i know some people like playing it solo for me i tried playing it solo um and it's just it's just too much for me to control two investigators at once and build decks for them and make upgrade decisions because you're upgrading your decks uh, throughout the campaign i just didn't enjoy it i want to control just one investigator i didn't feel like I didn't feel like that really worked. I, I, it's just not a great experience to only control one because you have to build your deck in a very generalist way where you can handle everything, right? Because you're doing different skill check, uh, checks like in any RPG. So you're checking your strength, you're checking your agility, your speed, your, you know, your wisdom, et cetera. So you've got to be able to pass every type of check. Whereas in a two player game, you can kind of have like one investigator maybe I'm really good at strength and wisdom and Ken's really good at agility and, you know, whatever else. So, um, that's my biggest gripe with it. And that's why it's way down here at 71, as opposed to up much higher, which is where it honestly, it, it would be otherwise. So I just don't have somebody else that I get to play it with. Um, and I just don't like it as a solo game. So that's my number 71 Arkham horror, the living card game or the card game as it's called. Uh, may or may not talk about that later today. Um, my number, and, and I do like it. I, I, I do like that game. Yes. Oh, number see, th- I wasn't sure if it'd make your list, uh, because I know you like the other two better. Well, I guess true. it's a spoiler. Those, those may or may not be on the list either. Uh, 
So yeah, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that later. Um, my number seventy is a uh, by Gameland Games. This is Tiny Epic Defenders. Um, I really like the Tiny Epic series that comes in a super small box that you can take. Basically, you know, doesn't matter like how big your suitcase is, you always can fit a Tiny Epic game in there. So if I'm traveling. I can take two Tiny Epic games with me, and it barely takes up any room. But Tiny Epic Defenders is, uh, you are defending this uh, this region, uh, the capital city, and there's like uh, one, two, there's six regions around it. Enemies are attacking. You're trying to stop the enemies from attacking, and when they do attack, you want to go down there. And I can't remember what term they use, but basically you want to lower the threat level of the, the regions, because eventually at the threat level... Uh, gets too high, it overruns, and it start, they start attacking the capital. And as you're doing this, you can also gain cool artifacts. That actually, they're they're little meeples, but like the artifacts actually like uh, uh, they're like item meeples, I think they call them. They like click into your guy, and then um, each each of the characters has a special ability. Like uh, there's the bard, there's a there's a, a, a like a, a human lion. Like there's they all have special abilities that break the game. But you're just trying to survive until the big bad comes out. And then once the big bad comes out, you want to go attack him and kill him. This is for one to four players. You can play this solo. I do find it be- best between like two to four players. Solo is fine too. Um, but it's just a very fun, uh, very fun game. Very small box, but there's a lot. There's a lot of it in the box. There's a there's the game with like a Dark War expansion too, which adds a lot of new things to it um, that makes it pretty cool. But this is my number 70, Tiny Epic Defenders. Yeah, I'd like to try that one at some point. Um, my number 70 is Ethnos. It's a family game from uh, Simon, Kulmini or not, which is very rare for them to make family games. This was maybe their first. It was definitely one of their first family games. They've moved more into that space uh, since then. So Ethnos is a... A very uh, it's, it's an area control game and set collection game. So basically, you're collecting sets of cards, and then you turn in those sets of cards to control areas on the map. There are six areas on the map. Um, when you there are six different colors, and when you discard your when you play your set of cards, right? If I play a set of six red or let's say two red cards, I get to place one token into the red region. The the caveat here is that you only ever place one token at a time. And to place, so if I've got, let's say, two tokens already in the red area, I need to play a set of three red cards. If there are three in the red area, I need to play a set of four red cards to put a token, etc. But you don't have to play a set of red cards. There are also 12 races. Uh, there are fantasy races, basically, like goblins and orcs and elves and wizards, etc., and so you could play instead of set like a set of wizards where one is red, and then that'll suffice for it as well. And whenever you play a set of cards, either a set of wizards, let's say, or a set of red cards where you declare, like let's say, a wizard as your as your like leader of that uh, group, then you also get to trigger whatever special ability it has. And so there are just a, ver- a variety of different special abilities and there are 12 races in the box and you play with six per game. So you get pretty varied experiences on just like different things that can happen depending on what, uh, which ones you play. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. What I like about it, especially is how fast the turns are. It's very ticket to ride in this aspect. And I'll be talking about ticket to ride at a much later date. Um, but basically all you do on your turn is you play a set of cards, or 
you you draw one card and there's a face up row of cards and then a deck you either draw one face up card or one card off the top so the turns are extremely fast it just goes it zips around the table you end up playing three what are called ages which are basically rounds and after each one you score um and you're basically just trying to control these regions uh by getting your tokens out there and having the most uh control tokens in as many regions as possible so um it's a pretty simple game, uh, very simple game actually, but I think it's very fun. Um, it's absolutely one that should have had an expansion because it would have been so easy for them to just create another dozen, you know, fantasy races and throw that in a box. But unfortunately, they didn't do that. But I think there's still plenty of game in the base set. So that's my number seventy, Ethnos. I have not played that one, um, but if you said it's like Ticket to Ride, that is why I have not played that one. Um, my number, I, spoiler alert, Ticket to Ride will not be talked about at all on my list. All right. Um, my number 69 is an older game, but it's come, it's like, there's been four, I think four versions of it. Um, maybe it's only third edition was, I think there was a fourth edition, but this is Space Hulk. This is my only game I have with Sprues. Um, but Space Hulk is, uh, set in the Warhammer 40k universe where you're in this giant floating ship called the Space Hulk, you're space marines, there's gene sealers on the ship, and much like the movie Aliens, there's like a, it's like a blip pile, you actually don't know how many gene sealers there are until you can actually see them, and then you flip over you flip over the chit or whatever, and then you put that many uh, miniature gene sealers, and you have space marines, and you can go in Overwatch and start shooting them, but then your gun can jam. Um, but this is a, so you're on a giant, this is a miniature game. You're on a giant ship. There's a two player game. One person's the gene sealers. One person's the space Marines. You're trying to shoot and kill all the gene sealers. There's usually something you have to do besides that, whether it's like go to the control room or do something like that. But this is, but this is, this is an older, like this, even though this is third or fourth edition was, I think fourth edition was like four or five years ago. Maybe it was longer ago. I could probably look that up. Um, Oh, it was 2014. That was 10 years ago? Okay. Um, man, I'm old. Anyway, so and this is so this is one of the original kind of games uh that like, you know, so it's nothing there's nothing there's nothing fancy in it. So there's no cool like I don't it's like a it's more like a it's kind of like a dungeon crawl in a spaceship, but not really. It's more like an adventure game. But there's not really more to it than you shoot gene sealers with giant, uh, cool machine guns. So kind of like the movie aliens, but not, not quite. So anyway, this is my number 69 space Hulk. All right. My number 69 is the dexterity game. Um, I believe I have five dexterity games on my list, four of which are flicking games where you flick things. This is the only one that's not, and this is a stacking game. Uh, and this is called junk art. Um, in this one, you've got a variety of different scenario cards that each pretty drastically change the rules of the game. And then you have this massive pile of wooden pieces that look like they're just random shapes grabbed from like an arts and crafts store. You know, you've got easy, really easy to use blocks and then you've got like really hard to use well, like like half circles, you know, like, or half spheres, I mean, or like just these like wooden like dowels almost and stuff. And like all, you know, in some scenarios you have to be the last man standing and just build as high as possible. Others, another scenario you have, um, like you 
kind of draft the cards that you have to the piece cards you have to play and then you have to use those to like build your tower and and some you have to get to you know x height to, to score points or you know in, in another it's all about the color of the pieces and you can stack anything but if you can stack a, a piece of the same color then you're going to get bonus points right so it's like it's just very interesting how many little nuances and kind of games are in this one box it's just you get a variety of experiences um and it's one of those games you can kind of just play over and over a lot so uh it's a it's a really good one really unique interesting game so if you know if if, if like a stacking game if that thing type of thing uh seems good to you then you know this is a really good one to check out so my number 69 is junk art i've actually never heard of that one um okay like Jenga, kind of. Kind of, I guess. Well, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess a little bit like Jenga, but like with way weirder pieces. And again, like the thing that really sells it is the variety of experiences. This is actually from the same company that did like it's Pretzel Games, right? Which also did Flick 'em Up. Um, okay, oh, Flick 'em so, Up's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, I believe you can get the wooden version of this as well as the plastic. And I would definitely, if if so, because I know that's how they did it for Flick 'em Up. And if so, you should definitely track down the wooden version if possible. Sure. Okay, well, my number 68 is kind of a kind of more like a series of games. Um, but three of the three of the games in the series in particular, this is uh, based off. So Richard Borg, the Command and Color system. I actually have never played Command and Colors, but this is a uh, Memoir 44 Battle Lord Battle Cry. Those are the three I've played. Um, he also has like a sci fi one. I don't know the name of it, but Memoir 44 is World War Two. Battle Lord is fantasy and Battle Cry is uh, Civil War. And, and the, the gist of the game is there's a giant hex based map and there's different terrain pieces you can put out. I mean, cardboard terrain. They're, it's not fancy like Heroescape, right? Cardboard terrain. And then there's 60 command cards. And on your turn, you have a hand of like four command cards. You're going to draw a command card and then you're going to play. And a lot of times like activate three units on the left flank or activate four units in the right flank. So um and when you activate it you can either uh, a lot of times either you can move and attack sometimes you can just move or maybe sometimes you can just attack or you get a bonus for attack and uh, so there's custom dice in this game the dice have different symbols like uh for memoir they got like infantry and tanks um for uh battle cry they have like uh cavalry units they have they have a a, a cannon and they have uh like um like the like tenth regiment, like uh, fourth fourth Massachusetts line, like those kind of those kind of guys, um, and you roll it so you have a maximum number of dice, but then every every distance between you, you roll one less dice, and like if like if you have cover, you roll like less dice or whatever too, and if you roll the symbol you need to hit, they remove one of the pieces from that tile they have on, and eventually when when you kill off the whole tile, you'll get one of their flags. A lot of times you're just trying to get a series of like, you know, first person or four flags wins or whatever. Um, but it's a pretty simple game. You know, like, like I said, I'm a big World War II guy. So Memoir 44, but I also like fantasy. So Battle Lore and as Battle Lore, if I remember correctly, there's a little bit more with like spells. You There might be spells. Actually, I haven't played Battle Lore in a long time. Mike, have you played Battle Lore? I've played uh, the second edition, but not the first. OK, so and then. um and, and in Battle Cry. So th- Richard Borg's a great designer. Um, he can't. He, this is called the Command and Color system. I've actually never played Command and Colors, the game. 
Um, but then the, and I also know there's also a sci-fi version. So I've only played these three. I like all three of them. Memoir 44 is probably my favorite out of the three of them. But uh, fa- but Battle Lord is right behind it, and the Battle Cry is you know really close to it as well. But that is my number um, 68. For, memoir, basically the Richard Borg games. Memoir 44, Battle Lord, and Battle Cry. Yeah, I mean, one thing to know about, like, memoirs, it's also, like, scenario-based, right? Whereas, like, some of the others are more, I believe, just, like, straight-up kill them all on, like, setup and stuff. It, it just depends. It really does. Uh, okay. Yeah. They, they try to reenact. What's cool is they try to, like, reenact, like, historic. Obviously, they can't in Battle Lore. But at least in Battle Cry and in Memoir 44, they try to reenact, like, actual battles. Um, which is pretty cool. Gotcha, yeah. All right, my number 68 is Carcassonne. Um, this is a classic tile laying game where basically you you have, you know, you draw tiles and you place them out and you're trying to cr- connect, you know, cities and complete castles and you build farms and um, that sort of thing. And everybody's building one giant, you know, map. You also have meeples and you place those out and you know, you, you place a thief on the road and then once the road is completed, you score two points per tile on that road. Um, for a castle, you, you you place a knight into the castle and then you score however many points, uh, you know, that the castle gives, etc. So it's very much a family weight game. It's a very good introductory game. I think it plays very well with two, especially um, the more people you have, the more chaos there is in the sense that like. I go and then I have to wait three turns till I go again. And then, um, you know, whatever I'm working on has already been completely thrown for a loop by everybody else at that point. Right. So I think it plays really well with two, especially, I think it plays okay with three. I wouldn't play with more than three. Um, although, I mean, it, it, it's okay with more than three too. So it's a kind of a classic at this point. I believe it came out way back in like 2000 or something so it's definitely a very good family game to check out it's pretty you know it's pretty easy rules wise and it's um pretty quick too so this is my number 68 carcassonne and and uh, they've also released some around the world versions and some other versions i know there's like a star wars carcassonne and stuff i've only played one of the around the world versions and i didn't particular like i didn't like the changes um there's also a bunch of expansions and some of those are really good and some others aren't um i would look on like bgg like board game geek i would also check out like dice tower reviews and stuff to to figure out which expansions you might want so um yeah some of the expansions really good others not so much so that's my number 68 carcassonne the key to winning that game is be a farmer lay go ahead go ahead lay your meeple down that's what you want to do uh the princess and the dragon that's that's the must-have expansion for that one um is it oh yeah oh yeah because the dragon gets to eat it gets to eat meeples it's great all right uh my number 67 is also a dexterity game um and this is i think it's my only dexterity game on my list but it is catacombs um this is a dungeon delving dexterity game where one guy plays as the overlord and there's up to, uh, there's four other heroes. So generally you want four other players, but I guess somebody can control more than one, but you're, but the, the dungeon Lord draws a card. He sees what monsters to put out. So he puts them out. And then the, the heroes, as they progress, they get, they get gold for killing monsters. And then there's a merchant they can visit. And then there's also a healer they can visit to heal up. But like, they have various abilities, like the the bar, the barbarian can like berserk, 
like attack four times in a row, but then he gets exhausted. The uh, the paladin I think has like a shield, like two free hits per room that like he absorbs. The ice princess can shoot like a an ice bolt and and when she hits, she actually puts the ice bolt on top of the little disc. So that so the so like my troll is my troll is stunned unless I can shoot my skeleton to knock the ice disc off my troll. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's an older game. I know there's a newer version. I don't have the newer version. Like I always seem to have the older version on all these games, but um, I think it's favorably or he- favorably heavily heavily favored in the Dungeon Lord. I don't think I've ever lost in this game as a Dungeon Lord, and I probably played it two to three dozen times. Um, but it's always a lot of fun because you try to flick it and then you just whiff, and you know, it's like oh, you know, everybody there's there's jokes and stuff, but it, it's a good time. My number sixty-seven is the dexterity game Dungeon Crawl Catacombs. All right, my number 67 is, I would say, functionally a three-player game. I think the box says three to five, but uh, talk to anybody, and they'll they'll tell you this one's a three-player game. And this one is Colossal Arena. This is a Reiner Knizia game from back in the, I want to say, early 2000s. It was part of Fantasy Flight Games' Silverline games, which were basically like smaller box games. Now, Fantasy Flight Games is known for their card games and especially for their bigger box games and their expandable games and all these you know, the joke with the, with FFG is is not a question of, you know, if there will be an expansion for the game, but how many, right? And and Colossal Arena was part of that line where they weren't doing that, um, especially, again, in the early days. So it's a very good one where basically you are betting on, like, gladiators in this arena, but it's very abstracted out where essentially you, you got these cards that get laid out, Um there are, I believe, 12 different gladiators, uh, you know, and they're, they're fantasy, right? So you've got a, a wyvern, you've got um, a colossus, you've got a troll, etc. And so you, you randomly select, I believe, eight of them. Um, yeah, I think eight of them. And then you shuffle up the deck, which has cards for each of those gladiators numbered zero to ten, I want to say. Um and then there are some like wild cards and then there are a couple like extra special ability cards and you draw, you know, you got a hand of cards and all you do is you can place a bet um, each each turn. You, you can place a bet uh, on, on one gladiator that doesn't have a bet in that current round and then you can place a you, you play a card and essentially that round of combat ends once all currently active gladiators have a card played and there's a single lowest valued card right so in the first round that means all eight gladiators have to have a card played into that row and one of them has to have the single current lowest card and that gladiator is eliminated and then you move to round two you do the same thing and basically you whittle down the number of gladiators by one each round until there's only like three remaining or whatever and then as you've been going you've been you've been betting and uh you know if if you if you're trying to guess which gladiator is going to be left alive at the end. So, you know, the, the earlier you bet on that gladiator to make it out, um, the more points you score for that bet. You can also at the very, like in the very first round only, you can place a secret bet where you take one card from your hand and you place it face down and put a chip on it. And that's a secret bet that nobody else knows you made. And that one pays out more than anything else as well. The one other twist is that if you are the highest, like if you have the most bets on a gladiator, when you play a card for that gladiator specifically, you get to activate the special ability of that gladiator. So all of these uh, 
gladiators have a different ability. So like the wyvern, when you play a wyvern card and you're the backer of it, you get to discard one other card in the currently active row. If you're the troll, when you play it, you get to pick up a previous troll card from a like a, from a previous round of the game and add it back to your hand, right? So it like regenerates and it keeps your your high value cards alive for later because otherwise once you use like an eight or a nine or a 10, it's gone. So it's just a lot of fun with like maneuvering and positioning and like not not positioning in like a tactical sense, but just like a, like how do you get it so that your gladiators make it through? How do you coordinate with the other, you know, usually with one other person at the table to like eliminate a gladiator that somebody has a lot of bets on, you know, just this posturing back and forth and trying to like, you know, ooh, if I play this card here and then they both play cards on this one and this one, that'll end the round, which will kill my gladiator. So I can't do that yet. Instead, I have to play here. You know, you're just trying to work this stuff out. Um, it's overall like a pretty light game. Uh, it takes probably 45 minutes ish and uh, it's well worth the time in my uh, in my experience. So that's my number 67 Colossal Arena. All right, my number 66 is a Euro game, and this is kind of my uh, my my hidden my hidden uh, Euro game that I, I I enjoy quite a bit, and this is called Kingsburg. Um, in Kingsburg, uh, and I think the reason I like this so much is uh, there's a you pl- there's four seasons every year, and in the in the final season winner you have to go to war and fight some sort of villain that you don't necessarily know about. Um, but the other three seasons, you are you are rolling dice to influence advisors. So they have advisors from one to eighteen, and you roll three, sometimes four dice, depending on if you have bonuses or whatever. And you can use those dice in any way you want. Like if you want to use a, a one and a four to get a five, or if you want to use the one to do the one and the four to do the four, or if you want to do the one a four, and let's say your, your other was a six, you can do six plus four is ten plus one is eleven. You can put all three of them on the number eleven advisor. And each advisor will give you something. Sometimes it's soldiers, but oftentimes it's either wood, stone, or gold. And then you use those various things to build various buildings that help you. Like some of the buildings help you uh, when you go to war. Some of them like give you extra dice when you uh, when you roll, or some of them give you various victory points. It is a victory point game. Um, I have I have most of the expansions, so you can change what uh like what each row is that you're trying to build for the buildings or like you know like you have special abilities like maybe you start the game with three extra wood because you're the woodcutter or something like that but this but this is kind of my um the euro game quite a bit and um i i don't know i don't know why i like this one so much more than like every like i i despise most euro games but i really enjoy kingsburg maybe it's the dice rolling maybe the fact that i know that there's a little bit of battle at the end every round um and i have to hire soldiers to fight the battle for me i'm not sure exactly but um i play this a lot i get my wife to play this with me she's not she's actually the only board game she really likes to play is dominion so the fact that she'll play this with me maybe that's part of the reason i like this game so much but we also play this with the kids so i would say this is a family game i don't usually play this with my buddies because we don't usually play euros but um i i do really enjoy this game it is a euro um, is my number 66, Kingsburg. Have you played Champions of Midgard? I have once. Eric has. Is it Eric? Yeah, Eternal Thanos has that game. Okay. Yeah, because so. that also did the, like, worker placement with dice thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, and there's a couple that does do that. I don't know if it's just like because I have so many choices because I roll three dice. So I'm like, well, if I place the because then I get to also see what dice my opponents roll. So I see that like he's got a two and I really need the two. Or I see that he's got a six and I want the six. So I better put my two and the four and the six so that he can't take the six. So when you go last, sometimes like, you know, you're limited on what you can pick. So there's a little bit of like, I can also block my opponent about what they're doing. So I'm not sure if that's what it is, but there's just something about it. Like I just, I just really enjoyed that game. Interesting. Okay. My number 66 is war chest. Um, this is a two player game. It is a tactical movement game where basically you have chips and you move them around and you're trying to capture control points on this little uh, hexagonal map. Um, What's interesting about this one is it's a hybrid between like a tactical two player game and a like a deck building game, essentially. Right. And in this one, you've got your chips, which are your units, and uh, you start with two of each. Like at the start of the game, you draft usually your units and there's a bunch of different types of units, um, including the expansion, especially Um you draft those, uh, your units, you put two of each chip, and they're these really nice poker chips, into a bag. Um, and then the rest are out there for you to purchase, right? And so on your turn, like each round, you draw three chips from the bag. Um, with these chips, you can deploy them onto the board on, on, a, on a control point that you control. Or you can bolster a unit you have out there by adding it just on top and making it harder for the opponent to kill that chip. Or you can, you know, another thing you can do is you can discard it face down into a discard pile to purchase one of your, um, un, like one of your uh, unpurchased chips and add that to your discard pile as well. And so once you run out of chips in your bag, you take all the chips in your discard pile and you add them into your bag. The, another thing you do with your chips are you discard a chip face up to either move that unit that's out on the board or attack with that unit out that's out on the board. And then each different unit has different abilities. You know, like they're all melee, except a couple have range. Um, there's like a cavalry which can move and attack. Um, you've got uh, just some some different things, some pretty cool abilities on your chips. One, you can have two different units for it out on the board. Normally you can only have one archer out, one cavalry out, etc. But this one, you can have two different ones, right? So it's like the board control you get out of that is pretty cool. But at the same time, like when your opponent kills your chip from the board it it leaves the game permanently right so like you start running to these issues where it's like the more you know you've got to keep buying more ships that way you can like you want to bolster it so that way it's harder for the point to kill but then you also want to be able to use that so you want to keep it in your bag so you can draw it and discard it to move or attack with that unit um but and if they kill it you have to put another one out to get any value out of it so um it's a really interesting two-player game. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's pretty fast, and there's a lot of depth to it, and a lot of interesting, you know, things you can do. And it's just fun because you have the different units that you're going to use um, each game. So that's my number sixty-six, War Chest. I haven't played that one yet, so I, I would I would definitely try that one. It reminds when I was when I saw it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, old school Hoplo. Um, you would like it for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number 65 is also a Euro game. So these are, this is probably the last of my, let me double check. I think this is the last of my Euro games on my list. Um, and it, this is a game I actually learned in 2009 at my very first Gen Con, and this is called Race for the Galaxy. 
this is a tableau building uh tableau building game where you're just trying to uh you know uh create a, an empire of you know planets and developments where you're trying to get more points than your opponent you're trying to conquer planets you're trying to settle planets you're trying to uh create developments and uh, the system this is similar to uh puerto rico and um i think san juan where like there's all these different actions you can take. And if, if Mike picks the settle action, I get a settle as well. But if I pick the settle action, I actually get a bonus. So like the more people you play with, the more opportunities you have to do things. Um, so, so I think this is better and more players because it's also simultaneous. So like if I pick develop, Mike picks settle, somebody else picks produce and somebody else picks trade. Like when I pick develop, we're all developing. When I, when Mike picks settle, like we'll do them in ascending order. Um, but when Mike picks settle, we're all settling. So it, it moves pretty fast. Um, I'm not sure why I like this game. Uh, for, like I said, once again, I'm not a huge Euro player. This is this is 100% card. This does have the um, Marvel Champions, I think, stole this from Race for the Galaxy, where you have to – so if a card costs nine, I have to discard nine cards to play it. The cost is in the cards, unless you're conquering it with the military power. So – builder um you discard cards to pay for cards and you get to do other actions based on what other people pick and when you pick an action you get the bonus so that's my number 65 race for the galaxy okay my number 65 is spyfall um it's a party game where basically you just have a, a there's like 24 locations in the original box and you put out a location sheet, which has images of all 24. And then you have 24 baggies each with, um, you know, eight or nine cards, um, of those cards, all but one show exactly that location, but one is the spy. And so you shuffle them up face down, you deal out to each person one card and so everybody but one will know what the location is. And then the game is extremely simple. All you do on your turn is you ask one person one question. So I might, and, and you can be as creative or not creative as you want. Um, you know, have, you can ask like, have you been there? Have, you know, uh, I'm struggling to think of like good questions, but just anything you want, you know, you could get more creative. Like, can you open a window? Well, if it's a submarine or if it's in space, obviously you can't open a window. So you're trying to, you know, who who tends to work at this place, right? So it's not like it, it could be yes or no questions. It could be based on somebody's personal experience. It could, you know, you could be as sly and subtle as you want with your questions. The caveat here is that the spy, like the, the players win if they figure out who the spy is. And the spy wins if they figure out what location you're at. So you've got to be you've like as the players, you want to be able to signal to the other players that you know what's up and you're not the spy. And as the but you also can't give away too much information or else the spy will be able to figure out um, the game takes place in literally eight minutes. Uh, you got an eight minute timer, I believe. And that's it. So it's very fast It's one you can play over and over. Uh, it's a really good party game. That's my number 65 Spyfall. Yeah, my oldest daughter likes this one quite a bit. We have the uh, DC version, I believe. So, my number 64 is set in the Arkham Horror, Horror Universe, uh, and it is Elder Sign. So, Elder Sign is a game 
where it's a dice game where you're in a museum and uh, all this crap is happening. This is set in the 1920s, about 100 years ago, where some sort of big bad's trying to come through a gate to uh, devour and destroy the world, and you're trying to stop it. So what you're trying to do is you're going to different locations uh, in this museum. You're rolling your dice. You're trying to match symbols on these cards. There's ways to mitigate the dice, whether it's with equipment you have or spells that you can cast. All your It's got the typical characters like uh, Jenny. I can't remember her last name, but she's like the rich girl. There's Mandy. There's uh, Harvey Walters. You know, It's got Michael, the guy with the Tommy gun. So it's got all the normal characters um, in this game, but you're just rolling the dice. You're trying to complete uh, complete these cards with the dice symbols that you have. If you miss, you have to you you can roll again, but you have to set a dice to the side. So you want to and there's like usually there's uh, between like one and three kind of uh, series of dice that you need to roll. So like. And you can't complete a whole card in one dice roll. So you're like, okay, well, I completed, I rolled two, uh, I rolled two skulls, so I'm going to put them here. And that completes that set. So now I can roll my other four dice. All right, I rolled, I rolled a Cthulhu symbol that goes here, and I can roll my other three dice. Okay, I rolled six investigation tokens. I can put those here. I complete it, and then you get a bonus for winning. And basically, you're trying to find so many um, uh, elder signs to seal the gate, so you stop the the big bad evil one. Um, what, what do they call them? The big bad. Uh, ancient from i think it's ancient big bad ancient one from coming through so um i I enjoy the arkham horror universe uh i will give you a spoiler this is not my only game in the arkham horror universe on this list that's my number 64 elder sign yeah it's a good choice um they like that dice rolling mechanic and like the lines per card like i'm pretty sure they just took that straight from age of war actually um and what's interesting is there are some expansions too, which like bring you outside the museum. So like there's like the gates of Arkham expansion, which you're like out in the streets of Arkham. So it's no longer like, why is this all happening in one museum? There's like an ice one, like the Ar- uh, omens of ice or something. I think there's like a desert one. So like there's a bunch of different expansions you can add in. Well, I think age of war was after Arkham horror though, or after uh, elder sign. Was it? Yeah, Elder Sign's old, man. It's like I thought. Two, I thought Elder Sign was like oh eight or something. Two thousand eleven. What's Age of War? I thought it was before that, but I could be wrong. Two thousand fourteen, man. Oh, then I'm wrong. So then Age of War copied uh, Elder Sign. Feels good to be right. Uh, <laughs> and, and and I do like Richard Lanius as the designer generally. So and he is one of the designers for Elder Sign. So. All right, my number 64 is a Euro game. It's a worker placement game. Um, so in in a, in a sense, it's similar to Kingsburg, although I like this one a lot more. This is Lords of Waterdeep. Um, this is a very, like, stereotypical introductory worker placement game, right? Like, lots of people get introduced into the hobby because of it. It's got a D&D theme, which has definitely helped some people find the hobby that otherwise wanted to have. Um, and basically, in this one, you've got, you know, you get quest cards, and they require you to get cubes you have workers you place the workers in different locations to get cubes um of different colors and take different actions um you got entry cards which add some extra things you can do during the game like a little little bonuses and stuff um and you know the the interesting part about a worker placement game is basically you send out a worker and like you, you've got usually a pool of a couple like two three four etc um and on your turn you send out one and then 
the person to your left sends out one, et cetera. And anywhere that has a worker, you can't send another person like another worker to, right? That's like the core mechanism behind worker placement games. It's why people like them is that, that interesting, you know, tension of like, Oh, I want to do this, but I also want to do this. But if I do this, you know, maybe somebody else is going to block me before I get there. So um, yeah, it's a good one. There are buildings. So like each round one building can be built usually. And so like, like the amount of spaces kind of expand over the course of the game. I really like the expansion. Um, there are two modules in it. I'm not a huge fan of the under whatever expansion because it basically just adds more spaces, um, which I don't think is like super interesting. Um, and I wouldn't play it with more than like three or four anyways. I wouldn't play it with like six, which is where you need it. The other half though is really good. Um, it's the Scoundrels of Skullport. I believe that's the name of the expansion and the module that I really like is the Skullport module because what it does is adds three really strong um, locations where you can send your workers. But whenever you send a worker there, um, you get a corruption. And then there are also quests and stuff that give you corruption. There are quests that let you get rid of corruption. Um, there are buildings that also add corruption, etc. And the corruption basically is negative victory points at the end of the game. And, and the amount of like how much negative you get per corruption is dependent on how much corruption there is around the table. So really interesting. Um, I really like that dynamic where it's like you want to do that action, but if you do, you get penalized. So like you have to choose when it's right to do it, when it's not right to do it, et cetera. So you also get a Lord card at the start of each game, um, which gives you kind of a path to go. Uh, like it, it gives you bonuses for, for completing certain things. So I think it's a really good one. Um, it's especially, it's, it's one that just about anyone can play. So that's my number 64 Lords of Waterdeep. You think this is better than Kingsburg? I, I, you, you didn't even talk about the rogues and the warriors and the clerics. Oh, because they don't matter. Yeah, well, so I only played Kingsburg once, and I had an absolutely miserable experience. Um, it was oh. with it was with five or six people, which seemed like way too many. Oh, so I don't think you can play more than five. I think with all the expansions, you can oh. at least play with five. I think it was five then. I thought it was oh. I, I thought it was really bad, but um, again, I didn't. I've only played it that once, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty terrible experience, but uh, oh. like some, you know, it was down at dice tower con and part of that might've been the people we were playing with. So, sure. you know, sure. Okay. Yeah. Lords of water deep, like, ugh. Not, I, I do not enjoy that. Um, but that's, what's cool about our list, man. They're so different. All right. My number 63 uh is a a 1v1 game and it's a game called gruff gruff is a game about mutant goats fighting each other um you have a shepherd and you get a you get three mutant goats on your team and you you you, there's a little bit of deck building like each goat has like oh 15 cards i think uh and then you you deck build from um you create a deck of uh 21 cards seven from each each goat you get you get and on your turn, you're going to gain, uh, you're going to, like, your goat has, like, gains, like, uh, when it attacks, it gains mean, um, and, and it has, like, fat as its defense. It's, it, it's kind of a funny game. And then your shepherd um, is in the back, and the weird is, the weird is, like, it's uh, magic. And you, each game, you know, uh, each card costs a certain number of, like, magic points, essentially, but they don't call them that. But you don't spend the magic points. You just have to have that, like, 
as long as I have seven magic points, I can cast any card that costs seven or less. Um, but your goats are, you know, your goats are lined up against your opponent's goats and they go into combat and it takes like a turn for them to actually like get over to fight. So sometimes maybe your opponent's got a way to like move his goats around. So when your goat actually fights your opponent's goat, it's a different goat and maybe he's able to kill that goat. But the, but the goal of the game is to knock out the goats and kill the shepherd if you can. So, um, it, it's a lot of fun. The theme is very cool. It's a very thematic game. Um, but it is about uh, uh, crazy shepherds with mutant goats fighting each other. And this is my um, number 63, and it's called Gruff. Yeah, you need to bring this one to KenCon. I want to try this one. Dude, it, it's so it's like so stupid, but it's so fun. <laughs> That's right up my alley. So my number 63 is a drafting game. This is like the equivalent of pandemic for co-ops in the sense that it wasn't the first, but it's the one that really caused drafting games to blow up uh, specifically in like the board gaming sphere, because I know like people would draft like magic before this, but this was really the one that, that caused the, the drafting blow up. And this one also just like pandemic released in 2008, which was like, one of the massive years for board gaming between Pandemic, um, Dominion, which I don't like, so it won't be on my list, and then this one, which is Seven Wonders by Antoine Boza. So I had Seven Wonders Duel, um, I guess, lower on the list, right, already, uh, which, you know, I like Seven Wonders Duel, but I do like Seven Wonders more. It is not quite like a gateway game, like, you know, and when I say gateway, like introductory, right, like something that just about anyone could pick up and, and play. There's a little more complexity with... Um, how like resources work in this game. So I don't think I would like, it's kind of like a next step past that. But what I like about it is how fast it is, right? Like games of this, it plays easily within 30 minutes. It also scales incredibly well, right? Like it plays the entire range from three to seven players extremely well, which is honestly extremely rare for like a board game. That just isn't a thing that happens. Um, so yeah, this, this is a really good one. Basically, you know, you get a hand of like, let's say eight cards, you choose one card, you play it, you pass the rest of the left, you get the, the next set of, of now seven cards from the person on your right, you choose one, you play it, you pass to the left, etc. Um, the reason it scales so well from three to seven is because it's all simultaneous. And then also you only ever have to worry about the person to your left and right, your immediate left and right. Um, you can buy resources from them, but them only. There's also uh, military conflict which is just like some extra victory points or negative victory points at the end of each of the three ages. But again, you only compare to your left or right. So it's really a brilliant design. Um, the reason I also have this over Sushi Go Party is that I think there's more, like I, I just enjoy it more. I think there's more depth to it. Although I would say if you're looking for one for like non-gamers and like as that gateway game, Sushi Go Party does a much better job of welcoming people in because it's just an easier game to grok. Uh, whereas this one is a, you know, it's a tougher teach. It's tougher to understand. So there's just, there's just more rules and that the whole concept of like spending resources, like you gain resources and you spend them on cards and stuff. And then you have to pay the, like you have to pay for resources basically from the, like from your neighbor kind of, but you pay the bank. Um, I think, or maybe you do pay your neighbor. It's been a little bit since I played it, but just like those concepts are a little weird for, you know, non-gamers. So that's my number 63, seven wonders. I think uh, the the OG one is fairy ta fairy uh, fairy tale. Yeah. We have the OG drafting game, and we have that. My kids actually really really like that one. 
yeah I've, I've only played that one once I, I that's why it's on my list so yeah no it, it's it, it is it 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 does what it does well and if you enjoy that then you, you probably enjoy fairy tale um my number 62 is a Norse, myth, Norse mythology game. It's called Yggdrasil. This is a cooperative game uh, where you're Norse gods and you're basically trying to stop all the, the big bad monsters from uh, uh, ruining Asgard. Um, there's there's nine realms on the board that you can go do things are like you can go to the and I don't know all I don't remember all the uh, Norse mythology game names, but like you can go to the world of the elves and like recruit elves to help you. You can go to uh, you can go to the the Valkyries and ask for uh, Viking souls to help you. You can go to um, the Dwarven Forge to get weapons. You can um, go fight frost giants because uh, you're you're fighting you're fighting like you're fighting like Loki, uh, Hell, Surtur, uh, Fenrir, the giant wolf, and they're trying to advance. And as they advance, you know, if five of them pass this one mark you lose. If three of them pass a further mark, you lose. If one of them make, gets all the way to Asgard, you lose. So it's, it's a game about, uh, you know, getting, getting what you need to go and fight the monsters and keep pushing them back. And you have to basically out, outlast the deck, um, it, each of the heroes. So you can be like, uh, Odin, Thor, Freya, Heimdall. And each of the heroes has a special ability that they're allowed to do. Like Thor gets plus one in combat. Odin can scry the enemy deck, um, uh, things like that. So this is this is a fun cooperative game. This makes it out to the table once or twice once or twice a year. Um, it's an older game. This was one of the first cooperative games that I just always lost. Um, I don't know what it was. Like I don't know if we just we just weren't smart enough to figure it out. But now that I've kind of figured it out, like I I barely ever lose. Actually, I shuffle in the harder cards now. Um, but but it was just, it's just interesting to watch that evolve because now I'll talk about some later cooperative games that I, that I almost always lose to as well um, down further on my list. But this was my, the original like one that I used to always lose to until like I figured it and just clicked, and now it's to the point where we have to shuffle in the harder cards because it's too easy. But this is Yggdrasil, um, my number sixty-two. All right, my number sixty-two is a. Very uh, light two-player game, but it's a great one, and this is Santorini. Um, so in this game, you basically have, like, two little uh, workers, and you are, like, you've got this big grid of, I don't know, it's like six by six or seven by seven squares. Um, actually, seven by seven seems too big. I think it's probably like six by six, and essentially, you are building towers, and um, you've got like level one, then level two, then level three towers, and then there are domes that cap level three. So all you do on your turn is move one worker, one square, and then build um, one piece on an adjacent square, right? And so you always build up. Um, you can only ever move up one level with your worker. So like you can move from the ground level to level one, but you couldn't move directly from ground to level two. Um, your goal is to get a worker to level three if you can get a work one of your workers onto level three you win the game but again if the opponent like if, if you set that up and then the opponent moves a guy next to it they can cap it right they can put the dome on top and then that tower is complete and you won't be able to get on top of it um and there's no like height limitations on on placing a uh placing a piece that's the base game and then 
what they did. So like that's literally all the rules for the the normal game. But then what's so cool about it is there are 30 god powers, and you will uh, like you can just play a normal game to like kind of learn the rules. But then after that, you shuffle up the 30 god powers, and that just fundamentally changes the game. So maybe in this game. I get to move and then build. Maybe I get to move, uh, build twice. Maybe I get, maybe I win if I can cap six towers total, right? If there are six capped towers, I just automatically win. Maybe I can move up two levels at once. Maybe I can build under me. You know, just all these cool little things. Um, maybe I can move and force you out of your square, right? So it's like, it's just super cool the different things you can do in this game um, with the different god powers and how that shifts the game in a like you're always still playing the same game but every single game is going to be different because you're going to have one god versus another and each time it's going to be different so you know i really like that about it i also really like they they made 10 like simpler gods basically like easier to understand abilities easier to use etc so like when you're first starting the game you can just shuffle up and play with those 10 and then later on you can use the extra 20 that are like a little more complex you know not that they're like crazy complex but just oh it's just super cool it's a really well done game um definitely worth checking out if, if you want a lighter two-player game you know a lighter quicker one you know 10 10 minutes or so so that's my number 62 santorini and great production value too it just it's just the pieces are nice cool uh, my number 61 is another kind of intro game that I use uh, when I'm introducing people into the world of board gaming. Um, like what I call from a level zero gamer to a level one gamer. Usually I'll do Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert. And then this is the next one I usually follow up with. And it's called Roll for Adventure. And Roll for Adventure, um, it's it's a dice placement game where you're you're picking a, a character. It's it's uh, like a, a fantasy theme. So like you're like a... Uh, a protector or an archer or something like that. And what you're doing, there's four different um, locations on the board where you're trying to place your fours or your fives or your ones or your twos to um, basically you're trying to collect these treasures in order to uh, unlock whatever, like uh, there's various levels you can play, like trying to look for this, the, the scepter or the crown or the magical sword or whatever. And every turn you're going to, you're going to, uh, you're going to pull a bad guy and the bad guy is going to attack a certain uh, certain area and then that bad guy goes to that area and then that bad guy will eat any dice that are there and that those dice will go into the void so and then you'll so you'll start losing dice or if you place your dice out on the board you're hoping your teammates will then like finish the puzzle part so then you'll be able to collect all those dice back otherwise if it gets back to your turn you still only have let's say you only have two dice left because you've already got your other four already allocated on the board so you're trying to like you're trying to manage your dice, whether you're trying to kill monsters, whether you're trying to, uh, you know, g- get a piece of the treasure from the forest or from the ice cave or from the desert or from the from the shadow cavern or whatever you're trying to do. But this is fun. I always like I said, I usually start with Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Then I move on to Roll for Adventure uh, and, and people seem to really enjoy it. It's a pretty quick game, 30 to 45 minutes at the most. Um, yeah. It's just a lot of fun. It's an it's a nice little dice roller, allocating dice to try and rescue stuff, and it's very cooperative because if I send my dice here and I can't quite unlock this because I need one more five, but I'm out of dice, I really hope Mike somehow can roll a five. So when it comes back to my turn, I'm able to access those dice. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck on the board if Mike and whoever maybe our third or fourth player isn't able to do that either too. So because maybe he pulled a dragon when he for his enemy. And the dragon attacked the forest and ate 
innate when the when the when the enemy attacks, it attacks all the different numbers. So let's say there's two fours, a five, and a six. It'll eat a four, a five, and a six, and those will go into the void. So now I have to hope that somebody can rescue the dice from the void to get them back. So this is a very cooperative game. And this is uh, number uh, my number 61 roll for adventure. All right, my number 61 is another really short, really simple two-player game. Um, you know, really, these two are no are we're in no particular order. You know, Santorini. This one is Onitama. Um this one is very chess-like. Basically, you've got a small little board. It's it's a square grid, just like Santorini. Um, in this one, it's only five wide, though, and you've got four pawns and one master. And your goal is either to capture your opponent's master or get your master to the other side of the board, the complete other side, uh, onto their temple space, which is where the opponent's master starts, right? The way they do it is so cool, though. Basically, you've got a bunch of cards, and each card shows a movement, um, so for example, one card might show that you can move a piece up to two, like two spaces forward or diagonal one back to the left or just one over to the right. Right. And so each card shows a different movement pattern at the start of the game. You shuffle up the cards and you select five. You start with two, your opponent starts with two, one goes in the middle. On your turn, you move one piece according to one of your two cards. You put that card that you just used into the middle, and you take the other card that was already in the middle to your side. Now your opponent goes. They do the exact same thing with one of their two cards, and then they get the card you just put in the middle, right? So everything you do, you have to think about, like, you know, you're thinking about, like, what do I want to do? But also, like, if I do this, this card's going to my opponent and they're going to be able to use that thing. And so sometimes like there's only one card that lets you move diagonally to the left. That's out in that case. Like, do you try to hold that all game or are you willing to let your opponent get that? Right. So it's really interesting. It's very smart. I like it significantly more than like a, like chess. Um, I just, it's so much faster. I'm not interested in playing a, a really long abstract game like chess. So this one to me just does it way better uh again for for what i'm looking out of a game um so yeah this is my number 61 onitama it's a great uh two-player game very you know and both of these i think are, are pretty cheap and you know easy to acquire so this is a really good one onitama my number 60 is a dinosaur game it's called apex uh theropod the deck builder game in this game, uh, you get to play as uh, like uh, you get like a, a specific deck based on what dinosaur you pick. Like it can be a T-Rex, you can be a Velociraptor, you can be like a Stegosaurus. I think I actually don't remember all the different uh, dinosaurs you can be, but but it's kind of like Marvel legend, well, legendary a little bit, where like you flip over a card, it's gonna move down the row. You have you know you can either uh, like there'll be other dinosaurs attacking you, maybe there'll be like a disease. Uh, the climate's also fighting against you, and there's also some big bad dinosaur you need to go fight. But it's a deck builder, so you're you're building up your deck, trying to like evolve your dinosaur to make him this big bad dinosaur. So at the very end, when you fight this apex predator at the end, you can come out uh, the winner. This game can play solo or uh, I think up to I'll say five, but I think this game actually works way better as solo. Um, when I rated it, I rated it based on solo. When we played cooperatively, like I didn't like the way, like the way you fought the final boss cooperatively, like didn't really make a lot. Like 
he you attack him, then he runs and hides again, then he has to come out again. Like I, I just didn't like the the way the system worked. But um, when you played it solo, it worked way better. And I'm not sure why they made the difference. Uh, they did that when they, when they made the game, but I'm sure they had a reason. But my number sixty is Apex Theropod de- deck building game, mainly as solo solo. All right, my number 60 is, I believe, one of my only two deck-building games on the list. I'm usually not a fan of deck-building games, um, and bo- actually both are in this segment, right? So none of them made my top 50. So this is my number 60. This is Thunderstone Quest. Um, I believe Ken will maybe have Thunderstone on his list somewhere, but Thunderstone Quest is the newest edition. I definitely don't have all the expansions. There's tons of them. I have a, you know, a, a decent bit for the game, though. Um Basically, you know, you've got a starting deck of like 10 cards and then you're going to acquire new heroes. You're going to be able to upgrade those heroes. You're going to acquire new equipment, uh, spells, etc. into your deck. You know, in, in you know, if, if you're not aware of like what a deck building game is, is essentially you've got like a starting deck of like 10 cards. You draw five cards, use those cards. You know, you buy new cards, you go to your discard pile whenever you would, you know, and then you draw five new cards. Right. And whenever you have to draw cards and you don't have any deck remaining, you go ahead, you shuffle up your discard and that becomes your new deck. So like over the course of the game, your deck grows. If you know a lot of people like this genre, um, Dominion is kind of the classic in it, uh, but I'm not really a fan of like Dominion or like those simpler ones. So Thunderstone Quest is, you know, what I like about it so much is it's kind of a thematic dungeon crawl at the same time because like it's like an RPG-esque type deal. And then you end up going to this dungeon and fighting monsters using those cards that you built your deck with, which I like a lot. Um, I really like the Epic Thunderstone variant where basically instead of having you know, instead of just selecting four heroes to use during that game, four different heroes, and everybody ends up with the same heroes, essentially, you know, maybe I don't have all four, maybe I have three of them, but I have, like, multiple copies in my deck of each one. Um, instead, you just shuffle up one copy of all the heroes, that means when I get this hero, nobody else can get it, right? And then I can upgrade my hero and get, like, a level three of this really cool hero that does this really unique thing that nobody else has, which I like a lot more, Um And then also what I like is the Barricades expansion, which added solo mode, because this game, like kind of one of my complaints with uh, this game otherwise, is that it's very solitaire. Um, There's really not much interaction. And so I think the solo mode is just the best way to play it. The Barricades expansion just adds a very good solo mode to it. Um, So I would definitely recommend checking that out. This is like, I'm not a big solo gamer, but occasionally I do want to play solo. And as long as I have the time, because this one's a little longer of a game it's a little more complex of a game than like some others but um yeah it's a it's a pretty good one uh yeah this is this is a fun game pretty thematic so that's my number 60 thunderstone quest i may or may not have thunderstone on my list at some point um i do enjoy thunderstone's a good game all right my number 59 is more this is a fail i this is 100% strictly a family game in my opinion i think anybody that says this says this more than that is lying to themselves it's a very simple game um and it, the only reason it's this high on my list is because of my kids and this is marvel united it's a very easy game it's got marvel marvel's cool generally there's locations on the board you're fighting the big bad guy you're running around the board playing cards to rescue civilians, uh, kill kill enemy, kill thugs in like complete little minor tasks here and there. I guess the cool system is when you play a card, 
Um, the next player also gets to use the whatever you did on your card as well. So you, you play them in a row. So whatever the card previous card to you, it, uh, to your card that you played, you also get to trigger that card. So that that's like its little shtick. It's fine. I have never once thought when I played this like, oh man, what strategic thing should I do next? It's kind of like, oh, Doug, go do this. And you play a card and you go do that. Um, so it probably should be higher, like lower on my list. Um, but but my kids really like it. My son really really enjoys it. It's one of the games I let him like set up by himself and we play and stuff like that because. I, I don't know. It's super simple. And that's probably the thing I, I dislike the most about is how simplistic it is. There's different ways to increase this, the, how hard it is. We've done that. And it still just feels really simple. Um, but that's my number 59 Marvel United. Yeah. I, I honestly kind of kicked myself for not backing this when I had the chance, like the initial Kickstarter because then they've done like the X-Men and I don't care at all about X-Men since then. So, um, and it's Simon. So, you know, they, they put out a bunch of Kickstarter exclusives during that first Kickstarter and you either get it at that time or you don't get those things. So, um, yeah, I kind of kicked myself for not doing it because like you say, like simple, like for me, that's like a good thing in a co-op and it's also like so much faster than a lot of co-ops too, from what I hear. So, oh um, yeah, you're done in like 30 minutes tops. Yeah. And that's like, that's like if you're playing, if you're playing hard mode or something. Yeah. Which is actually pretty unique for the genre at this point. Like, yeah, maybe. So for for um, a game with this much like variety within it, you know, like that's true. But yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, there's there's infinite there's an infinite number of variations probably at this point. I mean, my son only has like three expansions, and like there's still that's a ridiculous still a number. Yeah, yeah, still ridiculous numbers that we can play with. So right. All right, my number 59 is also a family game. Um, this is a very old game, I think from the 80s, that was then brought back by Restoration Games back in, oh, I don't know, 2019 or 2020 or so. And this is Fireball Island. It's a really cool game. You got a big you know, mountain out there uh, with a volcano. It's, it's an island, obviously. And you got fireballs around. And essentially, you are running around the island trying to take snapshots, trying to pick up treasures, and ultimately steal the heart of the volcano, right? This, this crown jewel. Um, but as you're doing this, other players are flicking fireballs at you, trying to steal your treasure, um, you know, there's expansions which add snakes and bees and uh, like a Indiana Stone, uh, Indiana Jones style cannonball or not cannonball, geez, boulder. Uh, I'm thinking cannonball because there's also like a pirate expansion which adds like a pirate ship board which I I own but I haven't played with it yet. Um, there's like the crouching tiger expansion which adds a tiger. Like I, I don't have all of it. Um, I've only played with I think like the base game plus some extra cards, but it's just a really fun game. Um, you know, I think it used to be like a roll and move. And what Restoration did was basically add a card play system, which just makes it a lot better. So that's my number 59. Definitely a light game, but definitely one that I think is a ton of fun. So um, Fireball Island, uh, the spe specifically the version is The Curse of Volcar. Yeah, I played the OG of this, dude. This is one of the games I grew up on. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one of the games I grew up on. I don't own it anymore. I own most of my other OG games, but I don't own that one. Well, the the new version's worth it, so. Oh, I'm sure. So, all right, my number fifty-eight is a basically a dungeon crawler. Um, it's Gears of War, the board game. I've never played the the video game, but from what I understand, it, it does a really good job. This is Corey Konitska or whatever, however you say his last name. But my understanding is it does a really good job of implementing the the video game into the board game. But you're basically 
Marines, soldiers, um, and like you have to destroy all these stupid monsters and like uh, seal off these spawn points that they're coming through. Um, you're, and there's it's a it's a card system with. Um, I'm sorry, it's not a card system. I'm thinking of a different game that I have further up. Um, but like ammo is a very short supply, so and when you when you shoot, you get to roll dice, and like so, like it, it's kind of like ammo is very hard to find too, because sometimes when you kill a monster, an ammo will appear, but it's not very likely. So it's more about like when to, because some of your guns you can like sh- like shoot like one shot and not not use ammo, or you can sh- like do a spray attack and you have to spend an ammo to do it. But anyway, so it's a it's a dungeon crawl with like from based off Gears of War the board game. It's scenario based. It's a lot of fun killing stuff uh, and, and moving on. So there is there is some hand management because because when you take wounds you have to discard cards in your hand if you ever run out of cards something happens so so the the, the cards do play play a role but not when you're attacking I was thinking of a different game for when you're attacking but the cards allow you to do various things so that is my number fifty eight Gears of War the board game. My number 58 is a very light dexterity game. It's a flicking game. It's called Ice Cool. Um, I think one of the best parts about this game is probably just how cheap it is. It's like a $20 dexterity game, which is pretty cheap for the genre. Um, in this one, you basically, well, the other really cool thing is the box is the board, right? So it's it's like it's, it's like a nesting box where there's the box and then a bunch of like smaller boxes and you actually connect them all with these connecting pieces Um and that becomes your board. It's like this little high school, basically. And essentially, one person is the catcher. The others are the runners. And the runners, uh, you start at opposite ends. The, and you've got these little weighted penguins uh, that, you know, are, stand upright. Um, you put fish on doorways. And the runners are trying to run around and grab all of their fish. Um, each time they do, they get a, a victory point card. Um, and when you get a victory point card, essentially, you can... You know, most of them are just victory points, but then like the, they're they're one, two, or three points, and like you can turn in two ones to take an extra turn, right? So like even the ones aren't bad. Um, the runners or the catcher is trying to hit the other penguins. What's really cool is how they designed the physical penguins themselves, in the sense that if you flick like the side of them, you can spin them, so you can make these really cool like corner shots. You can also fl- uh, flick like the the head of the penguin you know the top of it and you can jump walls so you end up with doing these really cool trick shots um they're hard to do you can like i guess you can get good at them i'm not good at it um but i still have a blast with it especially like you know i was playing with hound's rule and you know he figured it out like just like he randomly hit that cross you know cross box shot you know flicking hitting the top jumping two walls and just drilling me right which was just like how did you do that you know so that was just like a very funny moment um very cool so yeah just it's, it's just a really cool little um dexterity game so that's my number 58 ice cool all right my number 57 is another um video game based uh, dungeon crawl and i have never played this video game either but i heard it's ridiculously hard and this is dark souls the board game uh i played this for the first time the year it came out in gen con i want to say like 2017 2018 somewhere around there and we made it all the way to the first mini boss room and the mini boss attacked me in one attack and just killed me and uh 
Chris, the guy I was playing with, says, yeah, that's like the video game. So apparently this game is ridiculously hard. And when you fight the the bosses in the mini in the video game, there's like a pattern they establish. So you have to like kind of figure out their pattern. And the way they emulate that in this in this game is the boss have like an a, a mini like deck AI system where like you always see the next card in the deck. So you can kind of know where the boss is going to go when they're going to attack and like where their weak spot's going to be. So you try to react appropriately. Um, what I don't like about this game is. Like depending on the character you have, sometimes because you get souls when you kill when you kill uh, or when you when you clear a room. Because every time you come into a room, you turn over a card. The card spawns what monsters are in the room. When you clear a room, you get a certain number of souls, and you have to spend souls to like look for gear. But what I don't like about this game, let's say let's say I'm playing a cleric and Mike's playing a warrior, and every card we turn over is for a wizard. So um, now in this game, you can kind of spend souls to like upgrade all your abilities. So like if I really wanted to, I could probably get enough intelligence or whatever as the cleric to wield a wizard, a wizard power if I wanted to. But like, so one of the things we do when we play is like, basically if it's a card that belongs to a class that we're not really playing, we just skip over until we find one that we do. And when we do that, it works much better. Um, but uh, but 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 other than that, it's a it's a fun game. The miniatures are super cool. Um, the abilities are cool. Like you have everybody's got kind of like one reroll they can use. Um, you can spend a campfire uh, if you die. You get like three campfires per 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 I don't know per little mini mini adventure. Then you fight a mini boss, and there's also there's also very big bosses you have to fight at the very end. It's a long grindy game. So sometimes that kind of gets in the way, but we kind of skip the grindiness when we can and just kind of like start. It depends on how much time we have. If we have all day, we'll play one. But if we only got like two or three hours, we'll kind of skip over a couple things and just like level our guys up so we're ready to fight the boss. But anyway, uh, Dark Souls, the board game, never played the video game, but that is my number 57. Kind of sounds like you got some house rules in there. I knew you were going to say that, but uh, uh (laughs) Just for the record, they're all Chris's house rules. He owns this game. I don't own it. So um, you can talk to him about that at Ken Kong when you see him. All right. I'll make sure to do that. <laughs> all right. My number 57 is a family game. This one is Dixit. Um, this one's great. Basically, you got a deck of these really weird cards. Um, everybody has a hand of them. One person basically says just a, like a word or a phrase and everybody uh, and selects one of their cards from their hand that goes along with it. Everybody else also selects one card from their hand that somehow relates to this. And again, the artwork on these cards is really kind of bizarre and abstract. And like, it's more like conceptual than like, just like, Oh, there's an apple or something. Right. Um, The person that, you know, pick the the word will then uh, shuffle them up and put them out. And then everybody simultaneously basically guesses which one they think is the card of the person who picked the word, right? And essentially, um, if if you're the one that gives out the word, you want to make sure that at least one person, so if nobody guesses right, then everybody else gets victory points, but not the person who um, who picked the word. Conversely, if, or, or like, yeah, so, and but then if everybody gets it right, then same thing happens. Everybody else gets points, but not the person who picked the word. So you're trying to get some, but not all people to guess the right card based on the word you gave. 
Um, if you put out a card and somebody else, you managed to misdirect somebody onto your own card, right? Like, so let's say Ken was the uh, word, pick the word right now. Then if my card, other people chose my card, I get additional points for misleading people. So you're trying to like, basically, you're trying to, as the other people, you're trying to both figure out what card it could be, but also trying to, you know, like misdirect people into choosing your card. So it's really cool. It's a race to 30 points, basically. Um, yeah, you just go around the table, you know, taking turns being the person that picks the word. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really simple. It's a lot of fun. That's my number 57, Dixit. Yeah, I used to play that long, long time ago. Um, my number 56 is a solo only game, um, and it's more of a series of games. And, um, the one I'm talking about is Rifles in the Pacific. There's also Rifles in the Ardennes, and there's a there's a Napoleonic version. I've not played the Napoleonic version. I've only played the other two. But what it does is a, it's a little bit of an abstract um, World War II, where you have like a small, like four to eight units, where you're you're uh, going you're you're doing a scenario where you can play like you can play as the U.S. Marines against the uh, the Japanese, or you can play the Japanese against the U.S. Marines. And, um, and it, instead of a hex based map, it's like, it's like a, a vertical map that you, you just push forward on like stripes, they call them stripes. And each one is going to have like, uh, a terrain. So when you move to it, you, you flip over the terrain, see what it, it does. Like you're scouting as you go. And sometimes like there'll be a little machine gun nest that you have to take out or, uh, you know, a bazooka nest or something like that that you want to take out. And I know you can play with artillery in, um, uh, in some of, in, in some of the scenarios, but this is really fun. It's, it's pretty quick. They, they have a little campaign they built into it. That's kind of nice. They have a lot of tables when you roll and you're like all oh, tables, but it's not, it's not complicated. You just turn over the back of the page and roll it and you do what it says. It, it's not that um, crazy. Cause sometimes when people talk about tables and war games, it's like, okay, well, then you have to flip to this page and roll look at that table. And flip the, it's nothing like that. It's you just go by the back. It's, it's just like, it's, it's an AI essentially is what it is. Um, but it's, it's from title, tiny battle, battle publishing. So like the components are basically the opposite of chip theory games, which have like the best components in the business. These guys are pretty low tier. I don't want to say they're probably not as bad as uh, like Betrayal of House on the Hill by Avalon Hill, but it's probably pretty close. Um, but like it's like 30 bucks for, for everything. So it's, it's pretty cheap, but um, it's a fun little solo uh, war game. And this is uh, the, the rifles, the rifle series. This is specifically I'm talking about rifles in Pacific. That is my number 56. All right, my number 56 is a family game. Um, this is a bingo style game, and this is called Karuba, where basically you are uh, trying to chart your path through a jungle and um, get to a treasure. You've got four different, uh, or to a temple. You've got four different adventures, four different temples, and you're trying to get each adventure to a temple. You've got 36 tiles. Everybody else, like everybody but one has their tiles just laid out to the side. Um, and then the tile caller will uh, select one tile in a in a bingo style, right? They'll, they'll call out the number, everybody finds that number, and everybody gets to place their tile on the on their board. Um, everybody starts with their adventures and their temples in the same place on their board, it's a big grid basically, but that 
set up changes each game too, which is really cool. Um, and it's kind of a, like each, each tile has like a path through the jungle, right? So like some are just like a straight path. Others are, you know, a, a, a curve. Others are a crossroads, right? And so you're trying to build your paths from your adventures to your temples. Um, some of them have like gold or, or uh, a crystal on it. And if you can, if you end your adventures, move on that, um, you get to pick it up and, and it's like a point or two points. Um, and you, it's a race to be the first to get to these temples, right? So there's, there's four different colors and there's four different colors of basically these jewels at the end of them. And so if you're the first one to complete, let's say the green one, you'll, you'll take the first one, which is maybe worth seven points. And the second person maybe only gets five points, et cetera. Um, the other interesting thing is that you don't get to move your adventures for free. Instead, when they call a tile and you 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 take that tile to hand, you can discard it to move one adventurer up to the number of spaces as there are exits on the tile, right? So, it, you know, the the better tiles, like the ones that le- that have three or that are like three or four exits on them, um, you can move adventures further, but, th- but that means you're not playing that tile, right? So you're trying to figure out the most efficient way to chart your path through this jungle um, so that you both, you know, cause you want to get all four adventurers, uh, to the end, you want to be able to pick up like gold and the crystals and you want to get there fast enough. So it's basically just like a little optimization game. It's very quick, probably like 30 minutes. Um, it plays really, you know, it doesn't matter how many people you play it with. Like it, it plays up to four in the base box. You could play with two, you could play with four. It's going to be the exact same experience pretty much. You could even, I think, probably play it with more. If you had like a second copy, you could probably play this with eight people because it really like, it's very much a non-interactive game other than the race aspect. So if you have more people, um, maybe you play with, you know, if you have eight, maybe you play with two sets of those uh, jewels so that the first two that, you know, complete purple will each get seven points. The next two will each get five, et cetera, you know, something you'd, you'd have to figure out how to work it out, but it'd be pretty easy, honestly. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good one. My mom likes it a lot. Um, it's fast. It's simple. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my number 50, uh, 56 Karuba. All right. My number 55 is the very first game I ever kickstarted. Um, it is a game called myth. It is, it is a dungeon crawl. Um, fantasy based dungeon crawl what's there was a lot of issues with the kickstarter like uh the rules weren't super uh complete like the 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 word poison like you could get poison from the spiders but it never said what poison did in the rule book um so there's some issues there but what's very cool about this game is it's a it's a card it's a card system where um you have your miniatures that you're moving around on the board, but like the cards dictate what you can do. And what's cool is you have uh, four slots and you have four slots available in your, on your tableau. And every, every slot that you don't use a card at the end, you get to lower your, your kind of your threat value and the enemies kind of attack you by who's got the highest threat. So somebody that's got like a very high defensive, like the Spriggan's very defensive. He wants to keep his threat kind of higher. So people target him, but also when the AI activates, so the AI activates every time your your amount of activations are like sometimes you'll play a card that costs two activations or I don't say activation, but like costs two, two, I don't know what word, darkness to cost two darkness. So as the darkness moves up, the AI, the AI activates every time it hits six darkness. So however many cycles you go through as uh, as the heroes, you could activate that cycle several times. 
whether so you'll finish your activation if you hit the six mark on the darkness then the then the ai will take it take a turn and the ai will flip a card over it tells it what to do and depending on what your threat level is it's usually way worse so you also want to count and keep your threat low but once again the more damage you do the higher your threat goes so it, it's a it's about kind of controlling that system um there's some cards that are free some cards that cost actions um it like you know the and there's cards that stay in play so sometimes you have a card staying in place so you can't ever like totally clear your threat um because you because you have a card in play or whatever but it's very fun um part of the problems early on was like it was a little bit more f- like free form where like you're it's kind of like when i was talking about mice and mystics where they were like oh just do whatever you want but when they kind of released like edition 1.5 they really kind of shored those things up about like here's here's a quest book we suggest you play these quests in this order and and it it, it solved a lot of those issues now you still have a little bit of uh leeway when like you reveal a tile about how many enemies you want to put in play like it says anywhere between like eight to 15 enemies so if you want to play really hard you do 15 if this is with the newer group you could put eight down so there's still a little bit of that but they defined it way better in kind of like version 1.5 um now i've heard that uh somebody who was it that just took this game over my buddy vince is a huge 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 fan of this game um, he's still actually waiting for some of this Kickstarter for like going on eight years. Um, I got all mine when I kickstarted it, but I think he kickstarted it like later after I did and a new company bought it. I can't remember what company bought it, but anyway, um, this it's a fun game. It's a dungeon crawl. The, the card system is pretty cool. The only thing I wish is sometimes you'll draw a hand of five cards and it won't do anything you want to do. So I wish you could just play a card face down in your tableau. That's like, you know, you're going to make one attack based off your weapon stats or whatever. Um, something simple like that. Because sometimes, like, you'll get, like, three move cards and one defensive card and one heal card in your hand, and you really just need to kill monsters. So that that's kind of annoying. Um, but other than that, it, it's a lot of fun. And that is my number 55 myth. All right, my number 55 is Sorcerer. It's a two-player game from uh, White Wizard Games, or I believe they're called Wise Wizard Games now. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a really good game. Basically, you've got uh, three different types of uh, decks of cards, essentially, and like one is your character, one is the location you're from, and the other is like like a lineage type of, of thing right where like you're training your your type of magic and so you take one of each of those three decks um and there's all different ones and you shuffle them together and that becomes your deck of cards for that game it's very much like smash up or guardians in the sense that you've got these bases out or they don't call it bases in this game i don't remember what they call them but basically like locations out there and you're gonna commit cards to the different ones you can move from one to the other uh etc and you uh, play out cards your opponent plays out cards and then there's a combat round and basically you roll dice and the opponent takes the damage to where they choose to take the damage um, they could take it to their characters or they could take it to the base and basically if you deal like 15 damage to the location or the base or whatever it's called um, then you score it and you're trying to score three of them um, you know and that's that's basically the game uh, it's there's a lot to it there's you know, lots of combos and, you know, it, it really does reward multiple plays. I like the only reason it's this low is the theme. The theme is really dark. 
um, a decent amount of like like there's some gore and blood and just like the just like the artwork is all done in a very dark style which i don't like i like brighter games i like lighter games um yeah so that's like honestly like otherwise this could easily be like top 20 for me but that right there you know if if you like that stuff or you're okay with it you know it, it is a really good game um but for me, there are a lot of other two-player games that I like, uh, especially card games. So for one to really stand out for me, it's got to do like kind of everything right. And I don't feel like this one, for me, does everything right because of the artwork and the theme. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big visuals guy, so I really want to enjoy like like the artwork is a big deal to me. That's part of why I like Dixit is because the artwork is so great in that game. Um, and a game like this where the artwork I, I don't like um is gonna is just gonna be lower on my list so um same with like a game that has whiteboarded cards right like that for me is immediately a turn off and is automatically gonna get scored lower so that's my number 55 very good game um but yeah just not i would say just not 100 percent for me so that is sorcerer yeah that's a game i do want to play for sure i haven't played it yet i've i've, I've thought about it a couple times but as you mentioned, the the artwork was just a little bit too grim for me to try and play with my kids. I thought so. Yeah, it's not a great family game, unfortunately. Yeah. Which is a shame. Uh, the gameplay is rock solid. Yeah, I, I've I've watched several playthroughs of it. Um, I just have not like my, like the, the artwork just just talks me out. Kind of like Kingdom Death Monster is another one where yeah, it's actually 100%. a fun game, fun game, but like I'm never gonna play that ever with my kids. So yep. Um, all right. My number 54 is Arkham Horror, the card uh, board game. Arkham Horror, the board game. Um, I, I love this world. Um, this is also Richard Lanius. You know, there's a big there's a big bad ancient one trying to come through. You got to seal all the gates and close it before he comes through. Because if you don't, when he comes through, you got to fight him and you are not going to win. Um, so you're, you're running around, you're collecting, you know, you're collecting allies, weapons, items, spells. You're trying to get ready to fight him if he shows up. You're also trying to close all these gates before he gets there. You, Like I said, you've got all the normal characters, Harvey Walters, Jenny, whatever her last name is. I can't ever remember the machine gun, whatever I got, whatever I said earlier, but it's a lot of fun. It's a board game. It's a longer one though. So you're looking at probably at least three hours when you play this. Um, but you're running around trying to close the gates, trying to solve these uh, fine clues just try and stop the evil, the big evil ancient one from coming through. And if he does come through, you have to try and fight him. And chances are you will probably not win if you do have to fight him. But that is my number 54, Arkham Horror. All right. So my number 54 is um, it's a really good, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. I guess it's a party game, kind of. Uh, this is Liar's Dice. Yeah, I guess it's a party game. So essentially everybody gets a cup. A dice cup and I believe five dice and everybody rolls their dice and then um, keeps it hidden behind their cup and you are basically betting on how many how many copies of a given die is around the table right so you I might say okay there are six sixes around the table and then maybe Ken says okay there are seven threes around the table etc one side in the liar's dice version of the game is a wild um, and so instead of having a one, you've got a wild. So that means there's actually like a two thirds, kind of a two thirds chance that like any given die is out um, under, you know, that any given die is uh, not two thirds. Holy cow. I'm tired. One third chance that any given die is a given result. Right. So um, 
yeah, it, it's a really good one. Uh, it's very simple. It's very, it's fast. It's fun. It's a lot of just like playing the odds and then the crazy moments happen where it's like, well, statistically this can't happen, but like, I don't know what you have. So I don't know why you said that because maybe you have like four sixes under your cup. Um, there's a variant, which I also play with where basically, um, you just, you can lock in one die, uh, so you can, or one or more dice, right? So like you can reveal your, your dice, everybody after making a bid and, um, or making a bet rather, and choose any number of dice, slide them out, keep them out, and then you re-roll the rest, right? So you can kind of lock in and just go for broke and hope you get those extra dice you need, um, in case the next person challenges you. So basically, because if you're, if, if you say there are seven sixes and there's only four of them and the person to your left then challenges you instead of instead of going further, then you're going to lose that difference to the center. You're going to lose three dice. So um, you're trying to just be the last man standing. It's a really good, uh, really fun game. So that is my number, uh, whatever we're on, 54. So that is uh, Liar's Dice or Perudo is like the classic name for it. That's oldie but a goodie. Yep. All right, my number 53 is a way better version of Pandemic, and, and it's also by Richard Lanius. It is Defenders of the Realm. So instead of, it's like the same mechanics of Pandemic, except instead of diseases, you're fighting dragons, orcs, undead, and goblins. I'm not goblins. And demons. Um, they're trying to move towards Monarch City. You have various, there's various classes you can be, paladin, wizard, sorceress, uh, cleric. Um, they're 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 tainting the land as they move forward. They're trying to overrun cities. Uh, just the overrun mechanic is the same thing as they call as in um, pandemic. Since pandemic, they don't call it overrun. What do they call it? Uh, uh, outbreak. Outbreak. Yeah. But uh, you're rolling dice to try and kill these monsters, and ultimately you want to go fight the the big bosses. In order to fight the big bosses, you need to collect cards to fight them, um, and then you can also fight them together as a group. So long as like all four of us are standing on the 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 main dragon boss, we we use all our blue cards that match the dragon, and then we roll dice and try and kill the dragon. And then at the more the more big uh, the more big bosses you kill, the harder it gets. So like it kind of speeds up the outbreaks the outbreaks. See, so got me say the overruns and things like that. Uh, but anyway, this is Defenders of the Realm. Better better pandemic because it's fantasy style. Um, and you're not ki- killing diseases, you're killing big baddies. Um, and that is my number 53. Yeah, I don't know why this one didn't work for me at all. Um, yeah. Dude, that's dude, what, dude, you would way rather kill orcs than, like, cure diseases. Come on now. The mechanics are more different than just that, though. And like, Not I, that much different. I don't know. I didn't like this one at all. I, I played it several times, and it just never... I don't know. But I know a lot of people do like it, so... Um, yeah, so my number 53, um, and if I sound hesitant, because I did make a little bit of a mulligan in the ordering of just these last couple here, uh, but my number 53 is going to be Rum and Bones, Second Tide. Uh, this is a two-player game. It is basically Pirates of the Caribbean, the board game, uh, where basically it's a, you got two ships usually, and you got two crews, um, and You've got like your crew, which is just a whole pile of minis that just follow kind of these predetermined routes. But then you've also got three capped, like three like actual heroes. And those three heroes, you are doing the Pirates of the Caribbean thing where you are 
swinging across, you know, the, the decks and you are fighting and you are doing all this, all the like things you're trying to do. Um, you were trying to basically destroy some parts of the enemy ship. And if you can do that, you win. Um, on your turn, you just activate either one of your heroes or you activate your crew. Uh, so it's very much, you know, it's pretty simple. The biggest downside for this is that it's just a little too long for what it is. Like, I don't know, all of my plays at, at home have been probably like two, two and a half hours, which is just too long for what it is. But, you know, if maybe if you played a lot, um, because, you know, those those plays were spaced out pretty far apart. So maybe if you played a lot, it goes faster. And, you know, it is a lot of fun, but there's not like it's one of those games that you're playing more for the experience than for like strategic depth. I don't think there's a lot of strategy in the game. There's a ton of dice chucking, um, but it's just those those funny moments where you're trying to swing across. You have to roll a die and it's like, you know, you're just hoping for the best. And, you know, the Kraken comes and there's all different things. Uh, you know, heroes you can play as, and they, they play differently, which is really cool. Um, different factions are different. There's You have a deck of cards, which change things up. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a really fun game. It's a really good one. Uh, so that's my number 53, Roman Bones, Second Tide. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a little bit too long for my for my taste, but it is, it is, it is a solid game. So, um, my number 52 is, I believe, our second crossover. Uh, first one being Mice and Mystics, and that is Arkham Horror, the card game. Um, I really like this LCG. Um, I like the theme. I like how I like how the system works. I like uh, I like the world it's in. I like I like how combat works. Um, I don't like drawing from a bag, as everybody could guess. I'd rather roll a dice. Um, but the thing that actually bugs me more than that is I felt like I, when I play Marvel champions, uh, I have lots of cards to choose from when I'm building a deck. When I play Lord of the Rings, I have so many cards to choose from when I'm building a deck. When I, when I'm building a deck for Arkham horror, I always, even though I don't, I don't have a ton, but I have like two full sets, full adventure cycles, plus like a bunch of, uh, exclusives. I felt like, I'm always putting in like a random dagger because I can't find any more cards I want to put in my deck. Um, and I don't know why that bugs me so much. Um, like I, I've ne- like when I play Lord of the Rings, like when I'm building a deck, there's probably 300 cards I want to put in this one deck. When I'm playing Marvel champions, I probably got to cut the card, cut, cut them down from 100 to 50 or 40 cards. Like when I'm playing, when I'm playing, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, I'm like, well, I got 22 cards. I got to find, you know, I got to find more cards to fit in this deck. Like, I don't know. It just bugs me a lot. Um, so that's probably my biggest uh, thing about this game, too. And, and and the other th- reason is, like, with already having Marvel Champions, and, well, actually, I didn't have Marvel Champions first, but now they have Marvel Champions and Lord of the Rings, like, I just couldn't keep up with all three of these. And this was, this was the one I kind of liked. Uh, the least of the three plus like I get the Arkham horror I get the Arkham I get the Arkham feeling with you know Arkham horror and an elder sign so uh, but I do enjoy this game quite a bit and um, I don't mind playing it solo I don't mind playing a two-player I think it worked fine both ways um, I, I didn't really have any problems with that but and I like even even in the original set like the enough 
the enough variety of different things to do in the original set was very cool. I thought like it never felt like you were doing the same thing over and over and over again, which a lot of these LCGs sometimes can feel like. But I never felt that way in Arkham Horror the card game. But that is my number 52. All right, my number 52 is a game that I feel like basically I never hear anyone talk about. This one is War of the Worlds, the new wave. This is the other deck building game on my list, but it's a very much a deck building game with a board. And essentially it's an asymmetric two player game where each of you have your own, not only your own starting deck, which is different, but your own like trade row of sorts, right? Your own um extra deck that you can purchase cards from and your own row from that deck of, of cards that you're able to buy um, very asymmetric to your two factions. So essentially one player is uh, the, based, um, the like English people or whatever, and they are trying to, they've got 30 civilian cubes out there uh, and they are trying to essentially stop the alien invasion and so they win if they can deal 30 damage to the aliens the aliens win if they can wipe out all of the humans right now there are like several like it's just it's just such a well-done game there's an expansion which adds ireland to it uh it's called the irish sea expansion it's also really good uh yeah th- this this one to me is the best deck building game it's one nobody talks about um it's definitely a hybrid like deck building game plus board game but yeah it, it's it's very much a good one so um you know the, the the english player can build these like buildings and stuff to to stave off the invasion and make it harder for them to kill or like in out like increase damage output and such um the aliens got like multiple alien you know ships they can send around and uh yeah so it's like tactical movement plus like playing cards plus you know uh, purchasing cards etc so very much very good game I, I enjoy it a lot it also plays in the sweet spot for me of like 45 to 60 minutes which i really like in a two-player game so that is war of the Worlds: the new wave yeah that's a fun one all right my last one for today my number 51 is apocrypha the adventure card game and if you've played any other adventure card games which i'm not going to spoil but i may have some more on my list um it's about uh deck building uh you, you start with a group of a deck of cards and a, as you progress through the story you get to upgrade your deck of your deck of cards and your deck of cards is like the items you get to use and it's kind of also your your health but in apocrypha the adventure card game the best way to describe it is if you've ever seen the TV show Supernatural, it's like playing through the TV show Supernatural, um, like fighting that kind of style of fantasy monsters, but yet actually like like everyday, uh, like you're not set in a fantasy world, you're set in like an everyday everyday life. So it's very much kind of like playing through the the the, the TV show Supernatural. It's a lot of fun. This is better with more players because depending on where you're sitting, you actually get these halo cards. You can, you uh, like fragments that you get um, and you put in this halo. So like kind of depending where I put them in my halo, like the player on my left or my right or the one across from me gets bonuses. So this one you really want to play with at least four players. So that way um, all the, like I have a bonus for everybody on my left, right and across from me. And also like, you have there, uh, each of your characters has like four uh, st- stats, and it's like spirit, might, 
um, intelligence and body, I think. And depending on like where you're sitting, if my, uh, on location of the card, like I can actually assist you when you're making those types of checks. If, if we match up, like if you're doing a strength check and you're sitting on my right and on my card, there's a little strength symbol on my right. I can actually assist you. And the way it works is, um, you're rolling six sided dice and you want to beat a check and the check is usually generated from anywhere from like nine to 16 and you get to roll as many, like you want to make a bunch of six sided dice as much as you can, but you only get to use three of those for your check. So if you roll five, six sided dice, cause you, you, you use like, uh, you use like the rotten apples plus the, uh, flamethrower to try and defeat like, uh, the, uh, the monster under, underneath the little girl's bed and you roll six five six-sided dice because of that because you also have because you use your spirit when you fought him because it's a spirit check and you have four spirit and the apples gave you one and the flamethrower gave you one so you want to use your best out of those five di- or five dice you rolled you want to use a, your three best dice to see if you can't beat the um monster underneath the little girl's bed so this there's a there's two other like expansions for this one um one's like the devil and the other one is the flesh maybe and i actually don't have those and they're really hard to find and i've there's several times i could have bought them dirt cheap but i don't know i'm just slow on the uh i was just slow to get in there so i never did but this is actually a lot of fun and i played all the way through this um with a couple buddies and then i played through it solo and it just does not feel the same solo because you really need those other players to kind of like get your bonuses off of each other and that's kind of the way the game was designed it was designed by mike selinker and i do like uh i do like him as a designer um i may or may not have a game with by him later up on the list but that is my number 51 apocrypha the adventure card game all right, my number 51 honestly should have been higher. Um, the way I did my list was basically I took all of the games I rated exactly an eight and I ranked them. And that filled out the bottom part of my list and then all the games are ranked uh, 8.5 or better on BGG. Um, but uh, like I did those separately. Um, and this game I've already mulliganed up past like four or five uh, 8.5 games right now. So, you know, but I'm not going to move it up further because it's just easier to keep it on this list. So this is Broom Service by um, Alexander Pfister, and he is uh, much more well-known for heavier Euro games for stuff like Great Western Trail, which is an extremely popular game. Um, he's done some other ones as well that are like heavier Euro games. This is very much more of like a family weight game. And what I love so much about this one is the action selection system. So in this one, you are gathering resources. You're, you, you're a witch. Uh, you actually control two of these little witches. Um, you gather resources uh, you be, like herbs and stuff. You turn them into potions and you deliver the potions to towers to score victory points. Right. So it's very much like a, a, a like a gain resources, use those resources um, and, uh, you know, and and deliver them to score points. What I love so much about it is there are 10 action cards and um, basically like four of them, just like three of them rather just let you gain resources Four of them, let you move. um, And then two of them let you deliver to a space you already are at. And then one interacts with clouds, which is a separate thing, which I won't get into now, but basically you get wands as well, which can get rid of clouds. What I love so much about this is everybody at the start of each round. um, And I believe the game lasts eight rounds. uh, If I remember correctly, 
you you select four of these cards out of ten, and everybody selects four. Then the first player starts, and they pick one of these cards, and they play it. And they declare either to take the strong action or the weak action. If they take the weak action, they perform it right now. Then it would – and if they perform the strong action, they have to wait. Then the person on their left, if they also selected that same card, will play that card. And they will, deter, they will declare whether they're playing the strong or the weak. And this goes around the table. Now, the caveat is that if you pick strong and anyone else around the table ends up that that's after you playing ends up playing that exact same card, then you will not take that action. So this, the weak action you get to perform immediately and you know you perform it. But for like the gathering resources, you get one like green potion. Whereas if you take the strong action and it gets all the way around and nobody else picked that role, then you will get to get like two green potions plus a potion of any kind, right? And for the movement, normally you can just move your witch, one of your two witches on the board um, to that region. So like there's one that, you know, lets you move to like forests, another lets you move to mountains, etc. But if you take the strong action, when you move there, you also get to deliver to a tower there. So you're getting like a second action for free. So I, I love that. I love, and then whoever, um, was the last to pick the like the brave action or the strong action will lead the next card for that round too. So you have that other consideration of like, maybe I don't want to go first because if I go first, I have to play a card out and I have to guess whether you people also selected this role, right? And if you're playing with less players than the max player count, you end up like dealing out a couple roles, which are cursed roles where you lose victory points for selecting them which kind of like simulates having more players. But the other cool thing about that too is like, okay, well, I'm going to select this curse role specifically because I think nobody else is going to do it. Um, you know, the order that these get chosen matters too, right? Like maybe I don't want somebody to play this card that would move this witch yet because I want to be able to take the strong action and move there and deliver there. But before I can do that, I better be able to get one of these potions because I don't have one. So the ordering matters. So you, like whether you want to try to play for the strong action so that way you can make sure you get to like lead and you can lead with this one to gain that potion and then later cash it in. Um, just a lot of really like it's so it's simple, but there's so much depth to that system and it's so much about playing that table. So I, I just I just really love it. There's also like an objective card comes out each round. And so each round of the game, it plays a little differently. Um, you know, maybe there's penalties for doing something. Maybe you get extra victory points specifically for doing something, etc. So definitely like a Euro style game. But I just think that design, that core principle of you get 10 rolls, you select four and you have to always guess is somebody else, you know, also picking that role that that round um i i just love that i i think it's so well done uh it's, it's just an excellent excellent family weight game so that is my number 51 broom service all right mike well that's uh that's a wrap for tonight i think or today i mean this morning this morning yes right well maybe it's afternoon now it's possible that was a little bit long i guess one of the reasons that Mike and I talked about uh, doing the 50 to 36 or whatever next is because the more the as we go down the list, the more we're going to want to talk about these games. And we already know that like two hours is kind of pushing the limit for a podcast. So 
Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we didn't want to do like 10 episodes, like each, like, you know, that, that just seemed excessive. So um, you can obviously listen to this stuff at your leisure, right? Like we're releasing this all pretty close together because we're just kind of recording it all uh, pretty close together. Um, but obviously, you know, take your time and go back and listen to whatever you want and take breaks or whatever. So. And it sounds like our, our crossover count as of right now is only at two. So top 50 board games of all time. We've only crossed over twice. Or, or not bottom top 50. Yeah, bottom the next 50. 50. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've only crossed over twice. So, so far your seven looks better than my 12. Uh, so. I've got, a, I've got, I, <laughs> I have a bad feeling it's going to be more than uh, seven based on the fact that I have quite a few yeah. others already written down that I know are crossovers. Yeah, no, you can't, you can't be changing. Oh, no, changing. no, no. I'll, look, I'll stay. I'll stick with the seven, but I have a bad feeling. Look, you've played and you've included like you've already included two that I had like I didn't think there was any shot you were going to include. And what two were that? My Mystics and Arkham. Oh. Ar- Arkham, L- uh, the LCG. LCG. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like it. It's good. I just like other things better. So it's good. Right. I just. Yeah, that's 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 why I thought you were going to you weren't going to include it. Well. I already see one game on my list I totally missed, um, but it's too late now. And that probably would have been around the same same spot, but crap. Anyway. Interesting. So, oh, so I could have changed it out last minute, but I didn't want to cheat. So, but anyway, so, all right, well. Well, um, yeah, until next time, we'll be back with 50 to 31. So, uh, you know, slightly shorter, only 20 games, but uh yeah. 50 to 31 yeah and then oh yeah yeah then 30 to 32 11 yeah yeah sorry 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 yep. so okay yeah so um until next time stay safe happy scaping happy gaming <laughs>